This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson and their Keeper Pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and my voice is feeling very raspy right now, so I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Happy All-Star break almost being over, right? It's not something to be excited about that we are in this dead zone of hockey where five teams already were off before it started or teams were off before it started. Teams are going to be off once it's over. We have a limited schedule coming up, but that doesn't mean we have limited content for you. As always, Elon has done his job of scrounging up the best and most important news and notes in your fantasy week to make sure that you win this very awkward game week. And also, we're debuting a brand new segment on the second half of this episode, hashtag Dear Commish, where we're going to solve all your problems and answer all your questions about commissioning a fantasy hockey league, whether you're a player or a commish, uh, like roster or league management and construction. We're going to talk trading. We're going to talk shady commissions, what is and is not over the line. So many great questions. I, I'm really excited for it, Elon. And you, like the chief, you are the commission of the biggest and best fantasy hockey league in the world. So uh, who better to answer those questions than you? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Brian, I'm so sorry because you're so excited to get to that. But first, we got to get through my boring content that I have prepared for the episode. So boring. Okay, well, we'll we'll work through it. I think there's going to be some good nuggets here. And then, yeah, we'll get to those awesome commish questions that we got. Thanks to everyone who tweeted us or the patrons on Facebook who heeded our call and gave us some great questions to get to. Before we get to our content, we should, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. Even if the NHL takes a little break, has a little nonsense game, Dauber Hockey doesn't take breaks and they don't partake in the nonsense, right? They are every single day writing articles. You've got your daily ramblings. You've got all the tools, by the way, which is automatically done, I assume, unless there's someone actually there typing in all the stats as they come in. But it's amazing over at Frozen Tools. I love looking at the line combinations. you got the starting goalies, the player profiles. I really recommend you check it out if you haven't. I use it to prep the show every week. DauberHockey.com. Okay, Brian, so let's get started with our top headlines of the week. I've got some injuries and outjuries to throw at you, Brian. One 
piece of bad news is that we've learned that Anthony Mantha still hasn't resumed skating. Now I'm seeing he's going to be out at least another month with his rib cage slash shoulder injury. It's possible he could be out for the rest of the season. So I thought it would be a good time to dig into the Detroit Red Wings now that it's looking like Mantha's not going to come back. Really frustrating, of course, for anyone who reached for Mantha in drafts. He was performing just like we expected. He had 24 points in 29 games. That's a 68-point pace. Maybe he could be like a sneaky pick in drafts next season. I wonder if his ADP will fall. Like, I, I'm always interested when these players get injured and miss a lot of the year, like how that affects them next year. But I'm still super into Mantha long term. And if you're in a keeper league, maybe now t- good time to get him or just keep him in mind for your drafts next year either way. For sure. And I don't know that anyone really reached for Mantha this year. Anyone who had him was really happy to have him. He was, believe it or not, draft on average on Yahoo, 152nd overall in the middle of the 13th round, just ahead of Victor Olofsson, who was another sort of flyer, late draft value type you could have gotten. Guys like Dubois, James Neal, William Carlson, Kevin LeBanc, Patrick Hornfist. Mantha was available amongst all of them. And, uh... Of course, he went a little sooner in cupful leagues and leagues with keeping Carlson listeners because we tabbed him as someone worth watching going into this season. But it's a real shame that someone who had been providing fantastic value to anyone who did snag him as that valuable ad in the later rounds has to go without him at least a little longer. And I have no doubt in my mind that come next season, because if, if that's what we're looking at for the next action for Anthony Mantha, come next season, he will absolutely be a fantastic pick next season. His near 70-point pace looks good under the hood. Mantha is not being buoyed by any weird luck slash variance. So thinking about what he's going to do next season, it's a little early to do that. And it's a little hard to project any Detroit player for 70 points, even given how well Mantha has been playing this year. Uh, Detroit is just a sad team, right? They've looked pretty awful this season. It's hard to think anyone can get 70 points or more. But if anyone other than Larkin has a shot, it's Anthony Mantha. Yeah, don't forget, Detroit, they're a young team, right? So we expect as the years go by and the Heronics and the Bertuzzi's and the Zadina's and all these guys get a little more experience, they won't be a sad team forever, right? That's the point of, you know, rebuilding and having these prospects. So I think Mantha's among these players who should hopefully go up. Uh, so for a while, it was looking like Robbie Fabry had taken over that Mantha spot on the top line with Larkin and Bertuzzi. But lately, it's been Philip Zadina in that spot. And he's really starting to turn it up. He had two goals and seven shots on Wednesday versus Minnesota. Uh, Zadina also had one assist in the game before versus Colorado and his 20 minutes and 51 seconds of ice time versus Minnesota that was the highest of the season I guess the highest of his career meanwhile Fabry was on a nice roll but now only has one assist in his last four games from his line which is with Phil Pula and Brendan Perlini so a big demotion for him just going from the top line to the second line is pretty terrible in Detroit Uh, Fabry still on the top power play I wonder how long that lasts Uh, so Brian do you think now's a good time for people to be adding Zadina out of free agency if he's available in people's leagues Like, do you think he's going to stick on line one for the rest of the way or for the next little while? Unfortunately, Detroit only plays two games in this coming week. I think it's Friday, Saturday. Then they play four times in each of the following two weeks. You could add Zadina now and get a good schedule out of him for a couple of weeks. Let's say you were choosing right now between Fabry and Zadina for the rest of the season. I'm curious to know who you would go with. Okay, well, first I'll chat about Zadina, who I think... It's a pretty good idea to own Zadina right now. As you said, Elon, he's playing with Larkin. He's seeing some season-high time on ice totals. And that seven-shot game that we've just been staring at as his most recent for a week is a nice thing to get to stare at. And on the whole, Zadina has been averaging about three shots per game for the last couple weeks now. And we've seen him uh, have a pretty effective shot 
So I think he's absolutely worth owning. I picked him up in my cigar league a short while back, my can I get a redo league that I'm doing with other patrons. And I'm actually against him in the cupful this week, which is frustrating because he's doing well. Uh, if he's still a free agent in your league, he seems like a pretty good option. Even this week, Elon, you said he only has two games left. No one has more than three. So two games left this week is not a bad thing. And then those four game weeks coming up. If Zadina sticks with Larkin, that's fantastic. Of course, Robbie Fabry is a threat to take that spot. And in the meantime, while Zadina's been on the top line, Fabry is still hitting the score sheet with assists, though, rather than goals like Zadina is. Fabry has been moving back and forth most of his time in Detroit between Larkin and Phil Pula's lines, most of the time with Larkin. Um, so I'm trying to figure out who I like more between Fabry and Zadina. And my answer obviously comes down to whoever plays with Larkin the most. And I can't say that I see a clear pattern or have an understanding of how the Red Wings are managing this yet. If it's even the rest of the season between time spent with Dylan Larkin, between Zadina and Fabry, I think I'm actually going to take Zadina though, if that helps tie break. Now that he seems to have escaped the days of 12 and 13 minute deployment that followed his recall from Grand Rapids, he seems to have emerged as someone who's going to get top six minutes almost every night. And that's reason enough Plus those shots on goal, of course, for me to want him on my team. Yeah, I feel like Zadina is obviously the high pedigree guy who was drafted high. I guess Fabry back in the day was also drafted in the first round, but now he's more of a reclamation project. It's really great to see that Fabry has done so well when it looked like he was kind of left for dead over in St. Louis. But I I agree with you. It looks like Zadina's on his way up as long as he sticks getting good deployment. I almost feel like if he's not getting this great deployment, maybe they just send him back down to the minors because he's still eligible to be sent down. So obviously it's something to watch for right now. Yeah, take a look at Philip Zadina. Of course, the success of anyone on that Detroit top line depends on Dylan Larkin keeping up the amazing run that he's on. He's now up to 14 points in his last 13 games after that slow start he had to the season. Brian, do you think, like, is this the real Dylan Larkin at this point? Do you think he's going to keep up a pace similar to last season's 79-point pace the rest of the way? I know it was a slow start, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing now. And anyone who, you know, traded for him, got him for cheap, or just hung on to him, definitely reaping the rewards now. You asked me this exact same question two weeks ago when he was heating up, and even with having just heated up, Larkin was only up to a 53-point pace at the time. And when you asked me, could he sustain that hot streak, which he clearly has, I answered that Larkin's season has just looked weird to date. And it was really hard for me to understand what to expect going forward. One of the reasons Larkin's season has looked weird is because he has this lower IPP, despite a similar number of goals being scored while he's on the ice at five on five. And that's weird because you'd think Detroit would need Larkin more than ever to be in on creating at least as many goals as before, but with as many goals being scored while he's on the ice, he's been involved in fewer of them. Also, Larkin's own personal numbers had been lagging too relative to last year. So trying to make sense of what to expect from Dylan Larkin has been really difficult, even if variance washes out with his own drops. Like, let's say he's not getting exactly what he deserves shooting percentage-wise or on-ice shooting percentage-wise, and that makes up for uh, whatever drops he's had in his own individual numbers. I, I really don't feel like he's an 80-point player the rest of the way. 80-point pace player, especially with Mantha potentially not returning. That hurts, especially because we talked about the impact Gustav Nyquist had on him and the absence of Gustav Nyquist continues to have on Dylan Larkin's expectations. So I think you're safer expecting somewhere 
in the 60 to 65 point pace range from Dylan Larkin, though I'm very open to being surprised. I feel like this is low for him, and I should know better because he has proven us wrong before. It's just that Larkin is going to have to do more of the heavy lifting than ever if he's going to approach even a 70 point pace, let alone that 80 point pace he almost had last year. So I don't think this year is going to be as successful as last year. It hasn't been so far, and I don't think he's going to reach those heights in the second half of the season either. Wow, what a bummer. What a downer, Brian. 14 points his last 13 games. You don't think he'll keep it up. Oh, well, maybe Zadina is the answer. You know, he's the new Nyquist or Mantha or whatever. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully you're wrong for anyone who owns Larkin. Just like, by the way, you were wrong when you said that the maximum number of games teams play next week is three. We've been corrected in the chat room by Michael and Dave. Thanks, guys, for being on top of it. So actually, there are a few teams playing four times, including Anaheim, Montreal, Nashville, Ottawa, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Vancouver, and Washington. So those are the teams you want to stream for next week and then like i said detroit for the following two weeks are looking pretty good yes i stand corrected i just you know there's some teams that only play one game it's unfair that other teams play four games i don't know uh i don't know who made the schedule someone (laughs) with respect for players rest and rights how unfair well, don't forget that on Yahoo, this past week and this upcoming week was all one game week, so it kind of evens out for most of the team. So I think it's okay. Though it is kind of annoying, because right now in the couple, I'm losing by like 60 points in my matchup, because a lot of my players haven't even played yet, and I'm really hoping I could catch up, but it seems hard to bank on a big comeback when you're down by 60 points, and you only have seven days left. Okay, Brian, so next outjury I want to mention. I did an injury with Mantha. This is an upcoming outjury. Darcy Kemper was taken off the IR recently, so it looks like he'll be back from his lower body injury maybe as soon as Wednesday's game for Arizona at Anaheim with Antti Ranta having been blown up by the Oilers in his last game along with the injury troubles that Ranta has been having I feel like Kemper could be in line for a big chunk of the starts rest of season right like this isn't the case to me where you have two goalies who are fighting for those starts it seems to me like we've got a clear starter someone who's showing himself to maybe be more of a clear backup and also I feel like half the season Ranta might even be injured hopefully Kemper's fine of course we don't actually know it'll be really interesting to see him get back into the the net and see if he could keep up what he was doing before. We actually had a question on Facebook. One of our patrons, Kevin H, asked about Kemper. He was actually asking if he should go with Kemper or Frederick Anderson for the rest of the season. And I, it was a really tough one for me because we just did our goalie rankings. I'm pretty sure we ranked Anderson higher. But then I was thinking, yeah, I think I'm going to answer Darcy Kemper just because I feel like he's going to have a better save percentage. And Arizona's started scoring some goals lately. Now with Taylor Hall in the picture, this team is scoring, which means that they don't need as much run support in order to win games. It's not like last year where Kemper needed to help them win three games three to two or two to one every single time maybe they can even win games four to two so i don't know i I wonder if maybe arizona has a similar win potential as toronto right now they both actually sit at 57 points on the season so brian what do you think Uh, i think you answered anderson in the facebook question and now just justify your answer one way or the other camper or frederick anderson moving forward for the rest of the year So Kemper versus Anderson, first off, good point. You're right that Arizona is scoring more goals and offering Kemper more run support or offering their goalies more run support since Taylor Hall arrived, which wasn't hard. They were near the bottom of the league for the last two years and even strength goals for 60 minutes. So thank you, Taylor Hall, for helping the Arizona goalies. And then trying to compare Kemper versus Anderson. I was assuming saves was a category in the question we got. And I did add that if read sets were the only priority, I would be happier with Darcy Kemper over Frederick Anderson. So this is very much a what are you looking for kind of thing. If you're deciding between these two goalies, you want good rates, Darcy Kemper, you want saves and wins, Freddie Anderson. I'm also, re-Kemper, just a little bit weary 
and I think this is normal and reasonable, you tell me if it's not, about Darcy Kemper coming back from injury and what that might mean for his play going forward. It'll have been just over five weeks since Kemper has seen game action. Will there be any rust? Will he be able to get back to his top form? You know, we've long considered injury history as this red flag when rating and trying to project goalies. And so I can't ignore the possibility that Kemper's range of movement or even just mental game is going to be as sharp or comfortable as it was while he was putting up the 929 save percentage earlier this year before he was hurt. I'm also mindful when I'm comparing Kemper and Anderson that Kemper wasn't a workhorse before. Do you know before being injured, he'd started three in a row, three games in a row, just three times all season. And the third time he saw his fourth game in a row, and that's when Kemper got injured. So I wonder if the Coyotes are going to dial back that workload and be like, okay, Darcy, two games in a row is plenty. I don't know that you can count on him playing more than two of every three games unless Antti Ranta is brutal, which hasn't been the case. There have been some ugly outings, especially in his last two. But on the season, 9-12, 57% quality starts. It also hasn't been a banner year for Ranta, but it hasn't been a sky-is-falling year either. Uh, He's playing at least like a capable backup goalie should, someone who can start one out of every three games. And then the other factor to consider in Kemper versus Anderson is uh, team wins. Of course, Arizona has the better defensive reputation, but they've been letting themselves go a little as of late. And I'm kind of trying to think of why, and I wonder if that's because they lost the goalie that they knew could lock down a win with very little run support, and so sacrifice some of their defense for some offense to catch up from more goals being allowed with Kemper on the shelf. But on the whole, I also don't think it's wild to say Toronto is more likely to win each night than Arizona. So that was my reasoning for liking Anderson ahead of Kemper and being a little, little afraid of Kemper coming back. But I'm so, so open to him just coming back and blowing me away and proving to me once again how great he can be. Yeah, I would definitely take a bet against you of Arizona versus Toronto, who's going to win more games for the rest of the year. I think you may have that wrong, I think. Okay. I guess, yeah. Also, I think that if Toronto's going to win more games, it'll be because they finally trade for a backup at the trade deadline, which would be great for the team, but also would mean that maybe Frederick Anderson doesn't get a million games in a row like he's seen so far, which seems to affect him. And the Leafs always losing the playoffs to the Bruins, and I wonder if they had a fresh goalie if that would help. Well, I am putting this Arizona versus Toronto rest of season bet into our bet sheet for right. this season, uh, which we'll post on our patron page. Maybe we'll make it public one day, too. Yeah. Also, this stuff you're saying, it's, I don't know, it's a little like, fear-mongering, I think, to me. Like, yeah, obviously he could come back and not be as good because he's hurt. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, recently, I'm thinking of some guys at the top of my head. First of all, when you said that he may have some rust on him, it reminded me of a hockey player named Rust, Brian Rust, <laughs> who came back from injury and has been amazing. And, like, uh, I'm thinking about Oliver Bjorkstrand, like, just came back, and he's been, like, just as good in his first two games as he was before he got hurt. So, obviously, you never know. It depends on the injury. Like, every situation could be different. Hopefully, the Coyotes are being smart, and his Doctors will only let him play when he's back to normal. So uh, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. He's not like a goalie with a big injury history as far as... I'd be more worried about Auntie Ranta coming back and still feeling the effects of his injury because it seems like he's just... His whole life is feeling the effects of of, of an injury. Sorry, Auntie Ranta. <laughs> this is so sad. That's fair. But I'm, don't mistake me for saying Ranta is better than Kemper. Or for... I'm not fear-mongering <laughs> either. Like, I'm just saying, which I think is perfectly valid, which you've brought up anytime I talk about a goalie doing well that you don't like especially Corey Schneider in the past, although he has a longer and more extensive injury history, but it's just something to keep an eye on. 
I guess, yeah. For me, I guess with Schneider, yeah. The the difference to me, and I think it's a good conversation. I'm, not, I'm we're joking around and having fun, but obviously Are to we? me, there's something very different about. I am. There's something different about having a history of injuries that might be nagging at you versus like just a you know one injury that happened and now he's back. And generally, I don't have a big recollection of players taking a long time to recover or whatever. Generally, I, from my memory, and please tweet us at Keeping Carlson with examples to the contrary. I'm sure you could find some. Like normally, a player comes back from an injury and they just continue what they were doing before. As far as I remember. Uh, okay, next, let's do another outjury here. David Krejci missed a couple of games for the Bruins with an upper body injury, but returned on Tuesday, picked up a goal and an assist in the 3-2 win over Vegas. Unfortunately, Brian, I had him in the IR in one of my leagues, and I had a board game night at work, and I was planning on activating David Krejci if news came out that he was going to play, but it was like a game-time decision. He ended up, like, I think getting activated like two minutes before puck drop very annoying i feel like we need to figure out a way in fantasy to allow you to put in these players maybe give you a five minute buffer zone anyways i'm just ranting now it was a great game for krejci He's now up to 34 points in 42 games. It's a 66-point pace. Still not quite at the level of his 73 points from last season, but still, I'm just always so impressed to see Krejci producing, putting up all these big numbers, even from line two and power play two on Boston, playing with seemingly, like, nobodies. Do you see any reason for him to not be able to keep this up the rest of the way? Like, I always just find it so hard to even start him in this league that I have him in. Whenever I have a sit-start decision, I'm, whoa, am I going to play, like, this guy who's not even on the top line or the top power play? But he seems to be producing, like I said, 66-point pace so far. He has 13 points in his last 15 games, too, which is fantastic for David Krejci, but only 16 shots in that time, which is kind of his MO. But what's concerning is that of those 13 points, six of them have been goals, which is also not his MO. So six goals on 16 shots has helped him be real hot lately. And to be honest, I'm seeing a few things I don't love about David Krejci and his underlying numbers, which is not something I was expecting to say before I looked into it. When I did look into it, I saw a big dip in Krejci's shot generation this year, dip in his expected goals, and a spike in his own shooting percentage and his on-ice shooting percentage at 5-on-5, which would all indicate that a 66-point pace this year is not something Krejci should be able to maintain. Another reason why he might not maintain it, he's pacing for 22 power play points with just a 35% share of Boston's available power play time, which is just not something that happens getting that many points in that little time without some irregular and unsustainable scoring with the man advantage. But, and I have to add this, but because on Keeping Carlson, we never count out David Krejci. We know better. We lauded him in our preseason almanac for having been one of the best, yes, the best fantasy owns period in the last decade. Did you know, if you didn't listen to our almanac, you might not. Krejci is 25th in total points scored in the entire league since he became a full-time NHLer in 2008-2009, and he ranks 15th in assists in that time frame too. So he's had a long and very productive career, but now he's 33 years old. So maybe, I don't know, maybe slowing down a bit and signs are pointing to him being more of, I, I almost dare not say it, a 55 point to 60 point guy this year, rather than someone who's between 65 and 70 points, which isn't so weird because... He paced more as a 55-60 point guy in two of his last three seasons. So that makes this, in my opinion, a good time to see what you can sell Krejci for. I would take the under that he's going to be above a 65 point pace the rest of the season. Do you want to make a bet on that? 
No, I mean, it's not like everything you say I'm going to disagree with. That sounds like a very well-thought-out argument. I told you that I am already ah. always have this hunch that I want to put him on my bench anyways when I have the option. So it's nice to know that it wasn't for completely dumb reasons. He's just riding a hot, hot hand right now, scoring more goals than we'd expect. Oh, well, still nice. I'm sure you can't trade him for very much, but nice to know in shallower leagues that Brian says maybe you could even stream him out if there's a bad schedule. But there's always the risk that he's going to have a big game, like that game on Tuesday. He's clearly a really good player. I, I don't know why Boston just refuses to give him a shot on the top power play but i've said this already like a million times on the show so we'll leave it at that Uh, i got a few more imminent outjuries that i've got my eye on we don't really have anything to say about these guys yet because they haven't came back so brian i'll just like run through a bunch of them and then maybe you could comment on them afterwards uh so we've got jake muzzin should return to the leafs tomorrow versus nashville i'm going to be curious to see if he gets an increased role with morgan riley out like i'd imagine he gets on the second power play so that's someone to watch jeff skinner's been practicing with the sabers he's been practicing on a line with marcus johansson and michael froleek by the way michael froleek is on the sabers now for anyone i don't think we mentioned that on the show but there you go second line now maybe a good situation for him with jeff skinner but kind of not a great situation i was kind of interested to see what would happen when skinner came back before victor olafson and if he'd get a chance to get back with Eichel and Reinhardt. In the practice today, you can go to uh, gamedaylinetweets.com and see it for yourself. Uh, it was still Jimmy Vesey practicing on the top line and then Skinner on the second line. So I wonder if at least at some point Skinner will get a chance to play with Eichel before Olafson comes back. Uh, a few more. So Kyle Palmieri is practicing with the Devils. He's slated to be back on the top line with Hishir and Brat. So great to see him coming back. The Habs have a few players who have been injured for a while that are skating. Like I saw today, uh, Druin, Gallagher, and Paul Byron all skated at the Habs practice today. Doesn't look like any will be playing tomorrow. But if you look at the Habs' current lines, they've been going with Deneau, Tatar, and Kovalchuk, and then Domi with Suzuki and Armia. So it'll be interesting to see how the top six looks once Druin and Gallagher are back. Like, to me, the most obvious answer would be to have, you know, go back to Tatar, Deneau, Gallagher. That's their standard top line from last year and the start of this year. And then I guess that would leave Domi, Kovalchuk, and Druen on the second line. Uh, but I have a feeling Armia may stick with Domi because they've been doing well together. So I wonder if, like, Druen goes to line three or Kovalchuk goes to line three or maybe Kovalchuk gets traded. So that's a bunch of intrigue. And how about I'll stop here, Brian, because now I've mentioned a whole ton of players. Uh, anyone you want to comment on in particular? Okay, well, I'll take it from the top. First off, Jake Muzzin, even if he gets an increased role, Elon, I'm not that interested in him. He had a pretty big role before being on the shelf, uh, but he went pointless in his last 14 games uh, while averaging over 20 minutes of ice per those games. So that's great. Uh, We'll do fine for you in hits, blocks, might get you a shot, uh, maybe a couple shots here and there. But if you're expecting a lot of points, I wouldn't. Like, 35-point defenseman is probably what you're expecting with a bunch of peripherals. Jeff Skinner would be so nice to see him on the top line. It doesn't look like that's what we're going to see. Instead, we're going to see Jimmy VC completely continue to waste that spot. Uh, he's been up there for, you know, four or five games now. It has one goal to show for it and no meaningful peripherals either, although he had four hits in his last game. But if that's what we're talking about, it's not pretty. The Sabres seem really committed to keeping Jeff Skinner on their second line. I don't know what he ever did to Jack Eichel that made Eichel request to never play with him again. It's uh, unfortunate to see because there's so much dormant fantasy value there waiting to be awakened. And then Kyle Palmieri was another guy you mentioned who has actually done 
All right. Since Taylor Hall stopped playing for New Jersey before he was traded, he's got 12 points in 14 games, five goals, seven assists, and is averaging about two and a half shots a night. So if he was left for dead uh, amongst free agents because he was kind of disappointing leading up to that moment, like not terrible, but in some shallower leagues, I think he might have been dropped into free agency. Someone you might consider uh, getting into your lineup now that he's healthy. And then for the Habs, you mentioned Druen. I'm very excited for him coming back and what that could mean for Max Domi, although Max Domi was able to get going on his own. I think it could be good. It might be bad news for Nick Suzuki, of course. Brendan Gallagher, don't jump the gun here. There's been a couple false starts and they've still been talking about headaches. And I think he skated alone today or like he's been skating on in special circumstances. So it doesn't seem like he's quite ready to be in game shape. And I think they're going to be really careful about when Gallagher does re-enter the lineup, but it's nice to see him approaching his return. And Paul Byron isn't that interesting. Okay, and what do you think about once Druen and Gallagher do come back, who's getting bumped down to the bottom six? Out of Do you think, like, I, I was suggesting that maybe Armia could be the guy you would assume gets bumped from the second line, but also he and Domi have doing so, been doing so well together, which makes me wonder if maybe Druen, just like at the end of last season, he could be on the third line, or Kovalchuk gets traded, which, which I think might make a lot of sense for the Habs. They've, you know, inflated his value so much, obviously with his help, and now, you know, ship him off because I don't think they're a playoff team. Well, I think Druen is going to play with Domi on the line with Armia. And I think so Nick Suzuki will move down to the third line and maybe he'll play with Kovalchuk because Gallagher will absolutely take his spot back alongside Dino and Tatar. At least I think he will. I should never say absolutely unless I am the coach. Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to watch. And yeah, just keep all these things in mind. If you have Habs players, the, these lineup spots are probably going to be changing pretty soon. Uh, a couple more outjuries. Uh, so Justin Schultz, by the way, should be back from his lower body injury after the break. He was a full participant in like last Monday's practice for the Penguins. Uh, I don't know if this is even a big deal. Maybe it's not even worth mentioning, similar to a Jake Muzzin at this point. Like Schultz only had eight points in 27 games so far, even with 62.5% of his team's power play time in the games he played. So Schultz has been getting the opportunity that we want for him, but still not producing. So Brian, is there anything here? Like, is he still just a clear waiver wire guy, regardless of whether he's back on the top power play or not? Yeah, still in my mind, very much a waiver wire guy. And essentially, now with Justin Schultz back playing, all you have is one more streaming option when Pittsburgh has a good schedule. And like you needed another, right? We've been talking about all these Pittsburgh streamers all year. Uh, Justin Schultz remains, and this is my line on him, he remains a good guy to watch for little runs and top power play deployment. He doesn't always make the most of it. Uh, He's often far from a sure thing for making the most of it, but sometimes he can go on little runs. Elon, I'm actually curious to know now that he is back where you would rank him amongst our Pittsburgh streamers now that he's just another guy who might be playing on an off day that you can squeeze into your lineup amongst the well I'm not going to count Hornfist but amongst the Dominic Simones and Cahoons and Jared McCann uh, where does Justin Schultz rank there does he rank anywhere in between or just at the bottom you know, it's always hard when you're comparing a forward to a defenseman because it might be the case where you have room to fit a defenseman in your Let's lineup and not a forward. Let's assume you have room for either one. Yeah, then obviously then it comes down to maybe do you need blocks or not? But assuming just straight up points, uh, I'll put Schultz last, right? Like, I I want the guys playing with either Crosby or Malkin. So if Jared McCann is going to be on the third line, then obviously I'll take Schultz ahead of him. But I think right now Cahoon is still injured. So I was seeing that it was Hornqvist, Simone, and Crosby, and then Malkin with McCann and, of course, Brian Rust. So I would take all those guys in the top six, I guess, over Justin Schultz. So Schultz might have the more, like, long-term viability if he could get on a hot run, just because defensemen are so hard to find free agencies. It's always tough for me to make these types of comparisons. Uh, Do you concur? I concur. 
Okay. Uh, I see you uh, included here. Miro Haskinen is slated to return tomorrow. So there's another guy to keep in mind. We'll have to see if he's going to bump Klingberg or not from the top power play. I'm really getting tired of talking about Dallas. I'm going to just move on. Like, who, this team's just not doing as well as we hoped. I saw an interview over the All-Star break with, I think it was Tyler Sagan, where he was saying that he he expects that they're going to score more goals in the second half of the season. So we'll see if uh, Tyler Sagan knows what he's talking about. Okay, so that is it for injuries and outjuries. Uh, we've got a few hot streaks and cold streaks before we get to our Ask a Commission segment. Since we don't have any paid advertisements for this episode, why don't we take a quick second to thank our sponsors for this episode, which are our patrons, the patrons of Keeping Carlson. We want to thank so much for supporting the show all throughout the season. The patrons are the reason we're into our sixth season of Keeping Carlson now. And all we ask, uh, if you would be so kind to consider it, uh, if you throw us $5 a month, that's all we're asking. And not only will we be helping us keep putting out these four shows a month and also the eight short shifts episode per month that you've been getting, you'll also get an invite to the exclusive Keeping Carlson patrons only Facebook group. You'll be able to listen to our live broadcast, such as this one. We've got fun people in the chat. We just got a question about John Marino, which I guess we can take as soon as I'm done talking about this. Yes, you could join us here. You get a bonus Patreon every month. We also do these sit-start episodes that Ben hosts on Saturday, which are a lot of fun. Uh, then, uh, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we give the patrons. Oh yeah, show notes every single week. So, we're trying our best to make it worth your while, so at least check it out if you don't mind. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. We'd love your support and to get you in our community. So that's KeepingCarlson.com slash patron for all the information brian why don't we answer this question about john marino uh we had a question here asking if the return of justin schultz will hurt john marino who was on a nice run uh until recently he's now pointless in his last four but he was on a good run before that uh what do you think i feel like john marino i'm already kind of down on i feel like it's been many years of having chris letang and then maybe sometimes justin schultz producing on the pens decor and then no one else i feel like as long as letang is healthy there's not really room the way the penguins work for other defensemen to get points and i know it was really nice to see what marino was doing but i don't know unless you tell me differently i'm not so excited about marino and i'm even less into him obviously now that schultz is back and maybe marino loses that second power play time this is very much a what have you done for me lately take, Elon. If we asked this question literally a week and a half ago, we would have seen him on a run of 10 points in 13 games, two of those coming on the power play, and being like, oh, can he be stopped? Well, you know, go out and get John Marino. But he only had 10 shots over those 13 games, and now he's pointless in four. This seems to be his pattern so far this season. He's very quiet, and he, he went on a run, and then he got quiet again. Then he went on another run. Now he's quiet again, and we'll see if there's room for him to go on another run. Honestly, I haven't been able to really understand what exactly he's doing so well that's been letting him or enabling him to get on these really fantastic runs. Like, there's no weird variance or anything. I think he's just on a team that scores a lot of goals. He was getting more ice time. Uh, So I guess Justin Schultz coming back might hurt some of the opportunity he gets and might make him a little less relevant. But I feel like he could still just randomly surprise us for another 10-game stretch at some point. Yeah, don't forget that my skepticism is just for this season, right? Like, he's a rookie. Like, I definitely think that there's a nice future for him. And as Shane's saying here in the chat, he's young, and it's rare that NHL defensemen produce at the level that Marino was at this age. So maybe in the future, this will turn into something. But for this year, I think it's just another reason to expect him not to be able to keep up that amazing pace that he was on before this current uh, stretch. So, Brian, now let's go to some hot streaks and cold streaks. I want to start in Chicago. Eric Gustafsson has put up three straight two-point games, even though he's still not getting 
having a sniff of top power play time. And actually, only one of those points came from the second power play. So he's getting five points in his last three games at even strength. Brian, I feel like the whole core of our show is we're looking at these players and being like, ooh, this guy's on the top power play. I expect him to do really well. Or, oh, this defenseman's off the top power play. You probably want to get rid of him. Eric Gustafsson is spitting in our face and saying, there's more to it, guys. And now i got to ask you, is it time for people to get back on the Gustafsson train, even though he's not getting the top power play time? Or is this more a case where, like, Chicago is one of those teams that doesn't play until Saturday. Do you just kind of thank him for his service if you had him and move on? Like, I'm just curious to know, what's your take on Gustafsson? Is he a guy you have to hold now because he's on this great run? Or is it safe to drop him since he's not playing for a while and he's not even getting top power play time? Gustafsson's so tricky because of all these reasons you just mentioned to not want him, but then you're generally desperate for defensemen through the fantasy season, right? You're always like, ah, if I just had one more, I'd be solid. Or you might be like, I only have one defenseman who's capable. And you're desperate, which makes you reach out for guys like Eric Gustafsson, who's already made us a little gun shy this year because he's teased us a couple times with brief spurts of production. So I'm not ready to buy in unreservedly just yet. However, these three multi-point outings are reason to look back at his last couple months and realize things haven't been so bad for him. He was just a surge like this away from being over a half point per game player going back to mid-November, which is when he'd snapped an 11 game pointless streak and been generally mediocre since. Like he's had a couple drops and streaks since then, but on the whole now, 20 points for Eric Gustafsson in his last 34 games, and that makes him worth rostering in a lot of leagues as a defenseman. I will say that his ice time and shot counts still aren't awesome. They're down from last year, too, so he still hasn't really earned back whatever favor he did have going for him in Chicago last year. But then you look on the top power play and you see Bokvis doing absolutely nothing on the power play or even strength. You wonder if Gustafsson is near earning another shot. So, You asked Elon what you should do if you have him in your roster, say thank you for your service. If I'm holding him and I need some, like if I have him on my roster and I need those extra games to win this week, I'm fine streaming him out, assuming they're like some half-decent replacement defenseman options too in free agency. I'm not about to bet big on him yet because he's still not on the top power play and he's still under 18 minutes a night more often than I'd like. But I feel like all of that could change overnight. So there's a little bit of risk reward here in deciding what to do with Eric Gustafsson. Uh, I'm gun shy on him still. If he's available in my cup full league, I'm probably going to wait another game or two before buying in. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I guess a lot of these decisions might come down to like a probability. Like it sounds like you're saying, yeah, there's a chance he could be somewhat back. Maybe there's like a 25% chance that you want to add him now and hold him for the rest of the year. But there's also like a 75% chance that this is just a blip. And then you have to decide, you know, weigh the pros and cons of adding him and rolling the dice or not. I think that makes sense. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong for uh, how I'm interpreting what you said. Uh, I guess I should also mention that we said on the last episode, we were talking about how Dominic Kubalik got on the top power play, but that actually didn't last long. So on Tuesday's game, that's Chicago play. We were back to sort of the normal top power play. We had Kirby Doc there, and he's been there actually for a little while, along with Debrinkit, Kane, Taves, and Adam Bokvist. And then at even strength, Doc was on a line with Debrinkit and David Kampf, and then the other lines were Kane with Carpenter and Saar, and then Taves with Kubalik and Kajula. And yes, let's talk about Kirby Doc for a little bit, because he's actually been seeing top power play time for a while now, with no production to show for it. But now he has points in two straight games, uh, all of even strength, nothing on the power play. But I wonder, Brian, is this the start of a run for the 2019 third overall pick Kirby Doc or just like I suggested about Gustafsson do you leave him in free agency uh, because he doesn't play for a little while like it's just really hard to argue with the deployment if he's going to be playing on a line with Debrinkit and is getting top power play time I wonder if it's time to jump on now that he's starting to produce 
Well, the Blackhawks kept Kirby Doc up in the NHL this year. He's only played three games in the AHL, 45 now as a full-time NHL player. And that makes you think that they're going to try him in positions to succeed like this one. At the same time, I'm not convinced he's actually there yet or that he's going to hold on very long to that top power play spot. So I would leave him in free agency. Doc's minutes have been inconsistent, though, of course, I do like it five on five. He's playing with Debrinket and for now on the top power play. So maybe in the short term you look at him, but I don't think you're looking at him as a really longer term ad or even a short term ad. I guess all I'm saying here is I'm not that interested in Kirby Doc. He's more of a deep cut than a guy you should be rostering in most leagues. Yeah, that's fair. Michael saying Doc has two goals and two assists in his last 30 games. Yeah. yeah, but in his last two games, he has like three <laughs> points. So I don't know. It could be the start of something you're saying probably not. Obviously, he's a guy with a very bright future. And so I'm wondering if maybe that future starts now. You're saying probably not, which is fair. I do love the deployment. And he's someone I'm watching at the very least. If I were to rank... Let's rank the Chicago guys. You know, Brian, I, I try to do once a show, and I know it's your favorite question, and I'm being sarcastic, where I ask you to just rank a bunch of players on a team. Uh, if we're looking at Kubalik, who had one game with no points, for whatever that's worth, I, I saw he was starting to get dropped a lot in Yahoo after this one pointless game, which shows how fickle people can be. Uh, Brandon Saad, who we like as sort of a supplementary guy, Kirby Doc. How would you rank these three Chicago Blackhawks players who may be in free agency? Though I'd imagine Kubalik probably isn't. This is one of the easiest ones I think you've ever thrown at me, Elon. Kubalik first, then Saad, then Doc. And I can't even think of any argument to want to rearrange them. Can you? Like, do you disagree? I don't disagree. I think the argument would be if you think that Kirby Doc on the top power play and his points recently is a sign of things to come, while Brandon Saad's like a boring option. He's going to give you something, but he's not going to go crazy. Yeah, so Saad is like a 45-point, maybe 50-point guy, uh, I guess, and me putting Doc beneath him gives you a sense of just how much I really expect out of Doc the rest of the season. I think this is a learning year. I think it's good for him to get these reps in. It's great if he gets to stick in a place to succeed. He just hasn't succeeded yet, even in those places. Yeah, it'll be really fun going into next season to project some of these Blackhawks, right? Because like Boakvist and Doc, they're not producing so much this year, but it's nice to see them getting this great deployment. Gotta imagine that'll just continue, but also they'll start earning those draft positions they were taking, both first round picks, like top 10 picks, right? So I'd imagine that they're going to start getting points sooner rather than later, especially if they keep getting these opportunities. All right, so next, I want to talk about a guy who we actually brought up on the last episode. He was already on a run of five points in three games, but then Frank Vetrano earned himself another mention as the Panthers played twice in this shortened week. He picked up an assist on Monday at Minnesota and then followed that up with a hat trick on Tuesday versus Chicago. And like Chicago, Florida doesn't play until Saturday. So I guess it's kind of like a similar question. I think a lot of people are struggling with this. If you had been lucky enough to stream Vetrano in for his two games last week, are you now stuck with holding him in your lineup because he's on this amazing run? Or do you expect this production to be fleeting? Are you going to give people permission to drop him if they want to stream people in for the next few days? I am. It's hard to really endorse a guy like Vetrano who's accustomed to seeing 12 12, 14 minutes of ice most nights over the last month or so, even while he's been producing every so often. And Vitrano's also a guy who bounces around lines so much. It's nice at the moment, though. He's settled playing alongside Mike Hoffman and, of course, Dominic Toninato uh, the last little bit. But I don't know how long he stays on that line. I think... Because of his low minutes and this bouncing around the depth chart, it's safe to say that what we've seen from Vetrano is about what we're going to get. And maybe he can push up to a 50-point pace the rest of the season. Right now, he's on a 45-point pace. But that's about where I'd cap him. Because also, Vetrano is not quite the guy 
we've been pushing for the last couple of years, right? There have been moments where it's like, oh, Frank Vitrano, so exciting, high shot volume, high expected goals rates. But both of those numbers have taken a tumble this year. He still has pre- pretty decent numbers there, don't get me wrong, but not the sort that really got our attention and got us excited about him in the past and where we were pushing for him to get top six deployment. And if he did, we would certainly want to own him. He's not quite up to that standard in Florida this year. I think he's sort of stuck in the middle six and probably still a streamer, but one of the better ones that's regularly available and can cup full-size leagues. Yeah, Brian, you're a bit of a, like a hipster this episode, right? All the players who are doing well, they're looking cool. You're like, ah, I'm not into these guys. You're uh, Krejci's and your Larkins and your Frank Vitrano's. You're saying they're not going to keep it up and it'll be fun to see if you're right or not. Uh, here's another guy I could throw at you. I'm curious to know if you think this guy's going to keep it up. Sergei Bobrovsky played both of those Monday, Tuesday games, picked up the wins in both of them. And he's actually now on a four game winning streak. So maybe slowly but surely, Sergei Bobrovsky's going to turn this season around. He's now up to an 898 save percentage. So he's inching back to the 900 mark, which hopefully you'd imagine he'd be able to pass before the season's over. Keep in mind, last season, Bobrovsky had a really cold stretch, but he ended super hot. He had a 926 save percentage in his final 17 games to help lead the Blue Jackets into the playoffs. If any goalie, I feel like, can bounce back from a start like the one that Bob had... I'll bet it's him, right? He's one of those goalies that you just have to always give credit to that he has the ability to do well. He's done it so many times before. So what do you think? Do you think that maybe Bobrovsky will turn it around, have a really strong end just like last year, maybe help lead the Panthers into the playoffs? And and by the way, I was remembering as I was writing this question that we had this big debate about the Habs versus the Panthers. And I thought the Panthers were a better team. You said the Habs would be better. So far, I'm looking like I'm right so far. You are. I have some things to say about that. I'm not totally ready. I I think I can probably concede right now there's a 10-point difference between them with like 35 games left to play. But am I still allowed to say that Montreal has largely been the better team in expected goal share and shot share? But PDO has been the reason they trail Florida, especially in their shooting. You look at Montreal, they they rank fifth. In expected goals, four per 60 minutes at five on five, but they rank 22nd at five on five shooting percentage, which means they're just not getting the goals that they seem to deserve. Meanwhile, Florida has the fourth highest shooting percentage in the NHL, though they probably deserve to be somewhere in the top 10 with their firepower that they have in the lineup and the way they deploy it. I really think that Florida is about as good a team as they're showing, but Montreal has not been as good a team as they actually are. And injuries, you you have to grant me this, Elon. Injuries have hurt Montreal harder this year than Florida with Armia, Durant, oh, yeah. and Gallagher spending time on the shelf. But if I wanted to be conciliatory, I will say that perhaps Florida is the better team, but not by as much as it looks like in the standings. Yeah, that's fair. and uh, But obviously, Florida, I do think, has a good chance to be a little bit better just because Bobrovsky, I think, could be a little bit better than he has been so far. But I agree with you. Obviously, the injuries also plays a big role. That sucks for the Habs. They lost Drewen for so long. Yeah, I'd look to Bobrovsky as someone who can bounce back. You mentioned his four straight wins. In those four straight wins, he has a 922 save percentage, two very good starts, one okay start, one bad start. So still not totally consistent. But it was about this time last year that Bob began rewarding anyone who'd suffered through the first half of the season, holding him on their rosters. And it was a beautiful time for those who owned him, such as myself. But of course, nothing at all is guaranteed. Hashtag Agab. All goalies are bad. Uh, so in terms of actionable advice for Bob, he's the sort of guy you want to keep offering chances to because when he hits, he is an elite talent. He just hasn't seemed to find his game yet. 
Yeah, well, or maybe he just recently has. A-gap, all goalies aren't Bobrovsky. And so we'll see if Bobrovsky <laughs> could stand out the rest of the way. Uh, let's go to Carolina. Justin Williams played his second game back on Tuesday versus Winnipeg. Put up a cool two goals, including one from the top power play. And even strength, he played on a line with McGinn and Martinuk. And it's worth noting that Eric Howla was scratched, which is what opened up that top power play spot for Justin Williams with all the superstars on Carolina. But hey, you know, you could also say that maybe Eric Halla was just keeping that spot warm for when Williams got back in the first place. Like maybe this is actually Justin Williams' top power play spot. Last season, Williams ended the year with 30 points in his last 41 games for a 60-point pace. Uh, do you think an end like that is in the cards again for the 38-year-old? I kind of feel like that power play one spot should be very much up for grabs for Justin Williams. And I also wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe bump someone like a Warren Fogle or your Bay Nino Niederreiter from the top six. To ma- so maybe Williams could end up in a really good spot for the second half of the year, or I guess the final third of the season. I agree he's worth watching. In fact, when I first saw the nearly confirmed quote-unquote rumor that he was going to sign on a Sunday night, and I shared it with you saying Williams is someone we have to keep an eye on. There's certainly potential there, especially someone in free agency who might be a top six, top power play guy that you could just pluck and add to your roster for free. Uh, You look at what he's done in his two games, eight shots for Justin Williams in those two games, and of course he picked up that pair of goals in his second game while on the top power play, as you mentioned, and Williams makes a really good candidate to push Nino Niederreiter or Warren Fogel out of the top six. Those are two very poachable spots there that he can just take over. And Eric Halla, he can knock off the top power play, which isn't quite as poachable a spot, but I think it's definitely, it's more likely than not, I'd say. Uh, So Justin Williams, certainly worth adding last season. Remember, he was still fringe relevant. He had 23 goals uh, and 30 assists for 53 points in 82 games, though he averaged more than three shots per game. So if he's just firing pucks the way he has been for the last year, plus these two games, even if he's just a 50-ish plus point player, He's worth rostering just for the help. He'll get you in the shots on goal column. I would actually put him, Elon, as the fourth forward to own on Carolina right at this very moment. Open to change, but right now he'd be my fourth behind Aho, Teravainen, and Svechnikov. And then that leaves Williams in the group of Stahl, Niederreiter, Fogel, Nietzsche, Dezingle, Haula. Do you rank Williams at the top of that heap? Yeah, definitely. No, I'm really into him. And I think the other guys are free agents in most leagues, along with Justin Williams. And this might be your chance. Like you mentioned his 53 points last season overall. But like I said, he really turned it on in the second half. And I wonder if he still has that magic going for him going to next year. Maybe he could be a 60 point guy the rest of the way. So definitely someone that you should be thinking long and hard about about whether to add him. Carolina plays Friday, Sunday in this week. And Saturday is a busy day. So if you have a player that you're planning to bench on Saturday, because you don't have room to put him in your lineup, drop that guy. Get Justin Williams in, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, okay, so we've got a ton of St. Louis Blues on hot streaks currently. So I'll just like rhyme off a bunch of them. You got Jaden Schwartz and Braden Shen now both hovering around 70 point paces going into the All Star break. Ryan O'Reilly pacing for over 70 points. David Perron has 49 points in 49 games. Alex Petrangelo, 16 points in his last 13, which now brings him to 40 points in 49 games for a 67 point pace. So I know I've thrown a lot of names and numbers at you, Brian, but. 
I like this is insane, right? We've been drooling. First of all, Alex Petrangelo, we've been drooling over Carlson and Hamilton and Roman Yosi talking about how they're like having these amazing seasons. We've kind of forgotten about Alex Petrangelo. He's having a career year himself. I guess he's really heated up lately to really get into that conversation. Um, anyway, just in general, do you see all of this St. Louis scoring being sustainable? Like I recall, I brought up Jaden Schwartz a little while ago, and you said you thought that he would slow down. That clearly hasn't happened yet. He has 17 points in his last 15 games. So I'm curious to know at this point now, how do you see the rest of this season going? Will the Blues really end the year with four forwards and one defenseman all above 65 points, even with Tarasenko having missed the majority of the year? That just seems like super impressive. And by the way, of course, I should mention, speaking of Tarasenko, he is skating and I saw that he could be back as early as March, which would be when the fantasy playoffs start. It could also be later. Ben talked about it on Short Shifts. You can listen to that episode. There was some annoying stuff about how maybe the Blues will leave him on the long-term IR so they can maximize their cap space and blech. Hopefully not. Hopefully he's back. But either way, do you think that all of these Blues and their point paces are sustainable the rest of the season? Well, let's start with Jaden Schwartz, who continues. This is what I said last time you asked me about him, and I've been wrong because he's continued converting at an unsustainable rate. In his last 13 games, Jaden Schwartz has scored seven times on 30 shots. Just shy of a quarter of his shots that he takes have gone in the net. So again, I'm happy to see Jaden Schwartz keep doing his thing, but I really don't see a reason to fully buy in. And the same goes for St. Louis's offense on the whole. You've asked me about Steen and Bozak and Thomas as guys who have great schedules who you could stream in, but I'm not that interested in. They're all riding these super high percentages. St. Louis has scored three or more goals in eight straight games. They're shooting as a team at 11.5%, which is about 3% higher than they'd been shooting at all strengths earlier this season before this bender that they're on. So it's lovely, it's wonderful, but it's still not something I can see continuing. Man, Brian, this episode, you just, like, aren't into anyone. I'm going to have to get to some cold streak players. Then you could talk about how you think they'll either keep up their cold streaks or bounce back. Maybe you'll, like, be the complete opposite. Anyone who's hot you think is going to slow down. Hopefully that means everyone who's doing badly you think is going to do better. I guess we can start with the goaltender in St. Louis. Jordan Binnington has been awful in his last couple of games. He led in four goals of 25 shots in a 5-4 overtime loss to Philly back on the 15th. It's been a while since St. Louis played. <laughs> then he got pulled after letting in four goals on 11 shots versus Colorado on the 18th. Jake Allen still doing super well, right? He has a 927 save percentage on the season. Would you be worried as a Bennington owner at this point with this cold stretch and Allen just continuing to do well? No, I'm not worried. Though on our midseason goalie rankings, we did recognize Jake Allen for having one of the best Delta save percentages in the league this year, which means how far he's performing above or below his expected save percentage. He is one of the highest above in Tristan Jari territory. But Jake Allen has also been a guy who seems to do better with a split workload. And I'd be really surprised to see the whole crease in St. Louis handed over to Jake Allen when we're pretty much a calendar year removed from him being one of the reasons a Stanley Cup champ might not have made the playoffs. So uh, Jordan Bennington owners, I don't think you need to worry about him continuing to get starts. But Jake Allen owners, if his occasional spot starts help you, I I see no reason to let him go, especially if Bennington is struggling. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about Allen like taking over as a starter, but I could see it getting closer and closer to 50-50 if it keeps up like this. So something I, I'd be worried, but like, you know, don't drop Binnington or, you know, trade him for nothing because with goalies, I feel like they always turn around. And if, you know, he's now had the all-star break, maybe he's, he's had time to rethink things, recenter himself, and maybe Binnington comes on strong just like he did at the end of last season. Okay, Brian, I'll give you a couple more cold streaks to see if you could give some of these guys your blessing and you think they're going to bounce back. I want to start with Brock Besser, pointless in four games for the Canucks now, and he's only seen around 14 minutes of ice time the last couple of games versus Arizona and San Jose. And that makes sense because he played on a line with Adam Gaudet and Antoine Roussel last Saturday while Jake Vertanen took Besser's spot with Pedersen and JT Miller. And by the way, Jake Vertanen, uh, one goal and two assists in those recent two games. So he seems to be doing very well in his audition for the top line spot. So Brian, what's going on with Brock? Is he in Travis Green's doghouse? Is there any chance that this Vertanen experiment continues and maybe Besser continues to suffer because of it? First off, let's just not sound the alarm. Brock Besser still has 43 points in 49 games. Let's not get too afraid about this little drought he's in. And we've seen Travis Green blend almost every line once this season. So maybe it's just Brock Besser's turn to go through the blender. He still is managing three shots in each of his less than 15 minute performances. So that's pretty okay, to be honest, even if he is going to have his ice time cut to still be putting shots on net. And maybe being separated, if I'm looking for the silver lining here, Elon, maybe being separated from Pedersen can be a bit of a good thing. If other teams put their top checking line against Pedersen's line, then Besser gets the next best. And what you hear in me is that I'm not getting too down on Besser. He's also shooting just 7% over the last two months, which has been the only thing keeping him off of almost keeping up a point per game pace because his shots on goal are definitely still coming. The goals have dried up, but not in a way that I expect to continue. And I also don't know how long this Vertanen for Besser experiment lasts. I read on The Athletic that JT Miller... Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser uh, ranked in on-ice goal share second to only Boston's top line in the whole league, which means they're dominant and a tool that Vancouver should be wielding, not hiding away from. But I guess they're winning. And so long as they're winning games while spreading offense through their lineup, they could keep going with the current configuration. But I don't think it's the best choice for them in the long term. So as a Besser owner, don't panic. As a Besser non-owner, there's no way you can buy low, but you can at least kick tires. Yeah, and also as a guy in a league with Jake Furtanen available, which is most leagues, eh, I'd grab him for while he's on that line. And Brian, I, you know, your argument makes sense that maybe it's benefit for Besser to not play against the team's best defense, but I would like that a lot more if he was playing with Bo Horvat, at least, not on the third line with Gaudet and Roussel. Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't stay there. I would be worried about him if he sticks on that third line for a while. He's getting the Victor Arvidsson treatment right now, who is who I want to talk about next, actually. So I hate to ask, is it time for us to call it and just say Victor Arvidsson isn't going to bounce back this season. Like, he was already doing worse than expected, and now he's mired in a slump. He only has two goals and no assists in the nine games he's played in January, so now he's down to a 47-point pace on the season. Today, Nashville had a practice, and Victor Arvidsson was playing on line three with Rocco Grimaldi and Nick Bonino. Not great, right? It was Austin Watson with Johansson and Yarncroc, and then Duchesne with Granlin and Forsberg. So, Brian, do you see a reason to expect Victor Arvidsson to get back to being the 60-plus point guy that he's been for the past three seasons? Or should we just tell people it's not happening this year? Just forget about it. You know I traded Victor Arvidsson. I also traded Brock Besser. So I'm not some savant who knows exactly what's going to happen because Besser 
was amazing still after I traded him, which I thought would happen. But anyway, we're talking about Victor Arvidsson now, who I traded because him, I really didn't like what I'd seen in his numbers. He had declining shot rates, declining expected goals, so his shots weren't as dangerous, and seeing 90 seconds less of ice at 5-on-5 per night. And that was just going into his injury. Unfortunately, nothing has changed since he's been healthy. Uh, We still stand at this place where Arvidsson has lost the edge that made him a threat for 60 points or even 70 points. We projected him in the Almanac for 68 points this year. At least I did. I don't know what you put him as. But one of the reasons he's not approaching that is because he's stopped shooting through 35 games. Arvidsson has 81 shots this year. Last year through 35 games, he had 121. So averaging more than one shot per game more last season through 35 games compared to this season. It's really sad that we were hoping for Arvidsson to even get 40 goals this year, taking on a greater role as a power play shooter, keeping up his five-on-five numbers, but neither of those two things have happened. And even with a new coach, we still aren't seeing Arvidsson stapled back to a top line with Johansson and Forsberg, which should probably be the best scenario for him. So uh, where does this leave us? Probably not Arvidsson being a 60-point pace guy the rest of the year. It'd be nice for Arvidsson to even get up to 55-point pace the rest of the season, considering the way that he's been playing and the way he's been deployed. He's having a rough year. You know, he's not even someone I'd be interested in buying low on at this point. Yeah, I agree. I think that you got to start accepting the fact that it's not going to happen, especially seeing him skating on the third line, getting the Brock Besser treatment, and we assume Besser's going to get back before Arvidsson. All right, so we had one player, Brian, who you were high on, and then now we're back on a cold streak. But I have a feeling we're going to get hot again right here, because another player I'm surprised to see on a cold run right now is Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's pointless in four games. But before that, he had 42 points in his first 42 games. I feel like this has got to be just a random dry spell, right? Like somehow his line mate, like Jacob Verana, has points in all four of those games that Kuznetsov has been pointless in. So this has just got to be an IPP issue. Like, is Kuznetsov on the ice for goals and they're not happening? Like, you could just tell me to skip this question, but I wanted to throw it out there in case Kuznetsov owners are worried. Yeah, you can skip this bit. Nobody needs to be worried. Kuznetsov hadn't gotten more than two games without a point until now, and I feel about him the very way I feel about Brock Besser, which is this is a rough spell, but it's uncharacteristic, and there's no reason to get down on him. This is a, a mini by low window for Kuznetsov. Yeah, probably not. By nah. the way, that what is Washington doing? So annoying. They're playing Braden Holpe. They've confirmed that Holpe is going to be the starting goalie <laughs> for tomorrow's game against Montreal. Like, get get with the times, okay? Your starting goalie is Ilya Samsonov. Everyone knows it, but the Washington management, I guess. Okay, uh, while JVR has heated up for Philly, as we discussed last week, I want to bring up a cold streak guy on Philly who's Kevin Hayes. He's ice cold only one assist in his last four games and only four points in his last 11 games and i guess that'll happen when you're on a line with scott lawton and nicholas abe kubel so i guess yeah another player getting the third line treatment lately hayes is still seeing time on the top power play and that's been the only source of his production lately like these points i just told you about almost all of them have come from the top power play so is it time for people to drop hayes in all but the deepest of leagues until his deployment changes or gets on another run i think so but The one thing that might hold you back is Kevin Hayes did hold production a while back when he was playing on a third line with Joel Farabee and Scott Lawton. So I wouldn't totally count out Kevin Hayes, especially that he's still getting that top power play time. If I owned him in a cupful, which I don't anymore, I may give him another couple games on my roster. But in shallower leagues, if there are other like 55-ish point centerman options out there, you can probably stream out Kevin Hayes if you need to add some games to this week's matchup. 
Yeah, I, if I had him in Cuffle, I would consider dropping him. This is the uh, Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, by the way. And I think Hayes is starting to fall to me as a guy I would consider dropping. I've dropped some good players throughout the year. It's very hard for me to hold on to players who are producing. Because I always, I, you know me, Brian, I see those gems in free agency. Even if some people don't think that our free agency has exciting players, I could show you my watch list. A lot of these players I'm excited about. Some of them I've even mentioned on this episode. But I don't want to speak any more about that because my opponents are listening. Uh, finally, maybe I'm too late on this. One more cold streak I want to bring up. But what happened to Kevin Shattenkirk? Like, he's started the season on fire he had 26 points through his first 40 games that's a 53 point pace i thought wow kevin shattenkirk he's back and he was doing that not on the top power play right he's just a really productive player with the role that he was in now it's completely flipped he only has one assist in his last eight games even though tampa hasn't been lacking in goal scoring but all of a sudden shattenkirk is not getting in on anything shats is still at 68 percent owned in yahoo but that number has of course started to fall is shattenkirk someone you jump on if he winds up in free agency in a league where offensive defensemen are hard to come by or is this what you expected would happen and regression is just finally catching up to him and he's nothing more than i don't know like a 35 point defenseman like you know you talked about jake muzzin before is like someone you're not too excited about is shattenkirk in the same conversation yeah totally you even take a bigger slice of what shattenkirk's done lately five points in his last 20 games and you're asking me this question about whether he can get back to being a, a really great contributing offensive defenseman or that what he was doing was unsustainable i think you must remember how adamant i was that his production that he had at the start of the season would not last when i expressed my concerns about shattenkirk's unreasonably unsustainable point scoring. In fact, we made a bet back in November. I don't know if you remember that. From November 10th onwards, he'd be over or under a 40-point pace. You took the over, I took the under. A month ago, you were still winning by a smidge. He was at a 41-point pace uh, since November 10th, but now just a 35-point pace since November 10th. And I think I've got this bet locked down. His early production, the reason he came out uh, flying was a boost from some unexpected scoring surges on the second power play, but he's now gone 26 games without a single power play point, which balances out the six he had in his first 23 games from the second unit, which was too much. Also, Shattenkirk's IPP has regressed. His shooting percentage might still have a little regression to go, but he's not a big shooter, so that's not a big impact sort of thing. Simply put, there were a lot of things going right for Shattenkirk to get up above even a 45-point pace, let alone a 53-point pace, and all those things have, for the most part, regressed as expected. I think a 35-point pace for Shattenkirk, even on this high-powered Tampa team, is still the most reasonable expectation rest of season, given his lack of power play time, which means he's got to produce almost exclusively at 5-on-5, which, for what it's worth, Shattenkirk is doing better than ever before in his career this year, producing at 5-on-5. So Tampa's offense is showing up in his numbers, but that 5-on-5 production is just not enough to make Shattenkirk a sure thing for fantasy relevance. Okay, well, hopefully people listen to you back when we made that bet and sold high if they were able to. Clearly, I was wrong and you were right. That's why I'm just the host asking the questions and you're the the co-host answering the questions. And great job making that call on Shattenkirk. Uh, So I'll end my section before I throw it over to you for all of our Ask a Commission. I just want to throw out the names of a couple players we've already talked about recently, but I just wanted to make sure to put my stamp on it, remind people that these are two players that I think are going to have huge ends to their seasons, one more so than the other. And I think that you should consider pouncing on them if they're still out there. So the first one is like, old news right now but just in case Oliver Bjorkstrand has four goals in two games since returning he's getting the perfect deployment top line top power play on Columbus I think he should be owned in all leagues like no exception even shallow leagues I think everyone should be 
checking to see if Bjorkstrand is available and if he is figuring out a way to get him on your team. Like you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with your roster and ask us who you should drop for Oliver Bjorkstrand. And we'll try to help you out. And then the second player, like not as sure a thing for sure, in my opinion, but I did want to mention that Connor Garland, the guy's got six points in his last four games. He's playing on the top line and top power play with Taylor Hall. We've seen him go on hot runs before and then go cold for sure. So it's possible that'll happen. Though I just have a hunch that this hot run that Connor Garland is on is going to be one of the ones that lasts for a while. So I would grab him if you can as well. Him and Christian Dvorak, but I'm actually even more excited about Connor Garland just because we've seen some big offensive upside from him in stretches. And I love the situation he's in right now. Your hunch about Garland is stronger than mine, and I wish you all the best with it. I'm not going to poo-poo it or anything. I'm open to Connor Garland sticking with Taylor Hall, putting out some meaningful production rest of season. As for Oliver Bjorkstrand, this is the last time we're going to talk about him because it's a cold take by now to say go get him, right? You should have him, or he should be long gone if you're anything but a clown league. So definitely have him on your roster. And really, the next time you're going to hear about him is if he ascends to another level or if he goes cold. But in the meantime, just assume that Oliver Bjorkstrand is a fantastic fantasy own. Yes. Okay, so with that, Brian, I'm ready to throw to you. You could take over the hosting duties and tell me what you got in terms of these questions we've received uh, for commissioners. Okay. All right. Let's shift into gear. So I'm going to put on the host hat. That's the host hat sound. And you're going to be the expert here because Elon, you are like you do a lot of the heavy lifting for our Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy Leagues, uh, which has over 250 teams and a very intense. uh, We've talked about our league architecture a lot and how we manage the league and make sure there's no inactive players. So you are like a commish extraordinaire. So you're a perfect person to ask when anybody is having trouble figuring out how can I make my fantasy league work? Is there something wrong with the way trading is set up or vetoes or league construction or categories? So this was a chance that we opened up to our patrons and our Twitter followers to write a dear commish letter to you, Elon, and I guess me. So I'll chime in every so often, but you're the one who's, you know, you, oh boy. you put so much thought into this. You are the expert officially. What I'm really doing is I'm just absolving myself of any blame here. It's a lot to carry the whole player analysis piece. I want you to feel how it is to have all that pressure on you. Yeah, a lot of pressure, but okay, I'm ready for it. Let's let's take on these questions. Okay, so we've got a really fun one to start. Let's start out with some questions that we got about just general league management. So Jeremy writes, Dear Kamish, what's the best way to approach a manager about the fact you're kicking him out? And he he gives this example. There's a team that's been rebuilding for three years. They don't set their lines. They don't make trades. They've been asked to, like, shape up before. And they were like, this league is my lowest priority. So I'm not really going to change what I'm doing. And what they want to do in Jeremy's league is give a new manager a shot. And they already have a few replacements lined up. But they also don't want to be too harsh on this guy who's uh, neglecting his team ownership duties. So Jeremy asks... What's the best way to approach a manager about the fact you're kicking him out? I mean, this is this like a league commish question or more like how to handle your friendships in, in the case where you want to let someone down? Like, obviously, if it's your close friend, like, it sounds like this person doesn't care anyways. Probably just be like, hey, we found someone else to manage your team. If you want it to be really nice, you could be like, you could be the co-manager, but this other person is going to, we're just going to get this other person to manage the team with you. So you could be nice. Or you could just be like, 
dude, you, you're not managing your team. Obviously, you don't care. So let's move on with our lives. I think it's an easy question. Like, I don't know if it's a very sensitive person then maybe buy, buy them a beer or something. You know, I invite them out for drinks, <laughs> offer to cover the tab and then, you know, let them down softly. I don't know. Take them to the restaurant where everybody goes to break up. Yeah. And do it there. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Like, sometimes you're friends with the people in your league, you've built these relationships. So you need to be kind of sensitive, because you might not want to end the friendship. But I think if this person says it's their lowest priority league, they might just be asking for a way yeah. out. So though, I guess the, the one exception, obviously, is if there's money involved, I think feel like a lot of the questions is going to come down to that. Like if the person is paid to play this season, then you I kind of have to give them a refund if you're going to kick them out of the league, right? Unless you made an agreement at the start. Like a lot of these questions also, I think, are, are going to come down to what was agreed upon at the start of the season for everyone. Like, this is a group of friends. You don't want to lose your friendship, have this person, this delusional person think they still have a chance to win money, and now you're taking it away from them. So you might just have to wait till the end of the season and then kick them out before the next year. Uh, or I don't know, or you could give them back their money. So that might be a consideration. But obviously, leagues aren't fun if you have inactive players. It sounds terrible. And I would want this person out as well. I wouldn't even want to be friends with this person. Actually, <laughs> I don't want to be friends with someone who's gonna be inactive in a fantasy league. As a commission, Elon, you have a lot of problems with people who join a fantasy league and decide not to participate. Yeah, well, the nice thing with the cacuffle, right? So it happens sometimes. People sign up and then stop setting their lineups. And for, obviously, a variety of different reasons. We have 252 people, so not everyone is going to be super diligent like the people in Tier 1, for example. Uh, here it's easier. They're not, like, our friends. They are our patrons, though. So we don't want to just, like, kick someone out, and then they're probably going to cancel their Patreon account. So, you know, I always just email the person and say, hey, I noticed that you haven't been setting your lineup. Are you still interested in playing in the league? If not, it's totally no big deal. We have a wait list, and we have someone who could take over for you. And uh, then either the person, sometimes I just get completely ghosted, in which case I just assume I could replace the team. This person's probably not going to notice. Uh, and if they respond saying, no, I still plan to play. Sorry, I was on vacation or whatever. Then, yeah, I'll just uh, be like, OK, good luck. You know, I'm not going to kick someone out in that case. So I think it's a similar thing. Though I do like my idea that I just came up with now of add someone else to be their co-manager. And in that case, you know, it's kind of like you get the best of both worlds. Right. So you would send a little warning Maybe, like, under the right circumstances, you check in first and then see what their response is, of course, if they're not responding. You said it very well. I think it's important to check in with the person first, like, don't just revoke their access, which I would hope wouldn't be the case. Sean had a similar question, but it wasn't about kicking people out. It was, uh, he, how do you approach inactive managers? So Sean wrote, Dear Kamish, he didn't actually write this, but everyone should write Dear Kamish at the start of their question. If I reach out after a couple weeks of a manager being inactive, and then they get active again, the next teams they play don't get that same advantage that the last two teams did. So it creates this uneven competition where these teams who played the inactive manager had a like could just walk all over them for two weeks and then the team that plays that manager once they get active again is at an unfair disadvantage so how do you manage that <laughs> i don't know you know have you ever watched malcolm in the middle like the song at life is unfair <laughs> like sometimes it just happens yeah so you've happened to the week that you played the manager he was active and then the following week they weren't active when they were playing against your you know biggest competition like that kind of sucks obviously if this happens a lot same with the last question you might want to approach them and consider replacing them if they just like had a week where they like got married that week and they were unavailable to set their lineup for whatever reason just yeah i don't know what, what are you gonna do like in the end this is all mostly for fun hopefully you don't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line where uh you know this person setting or not setting their lineup is gonna ruin your life like things like this happen right so speaking of 
when teams do or don't set their lineups and what might happen to influence that. Patron Simon, also Jeremy and Sean, patron Jeremy and patron Sean is their pa- their proper title. Patron Simon writes, Dear Kamish, my Kamish reminded someone to set their lines, which made the team they were playing pretty unhappy. The manager against the team getting the reminder pointed out that the commission doesn't always do that. Like, it's not a consistent move. They don't go around reminding everyone to set their lines. And he only did it because the team that they were against was ahead of the commissioner in the standing. So the commissioner was trying to give a little assist to the team playing a team that the commissioner was chasing. And then the commissioner's own argument for themselves was that he wasn't using his commission powers at all to remind someone to set their lines that anyone could check rosters and nudge another owner to get active at a strategic time so the question from simon is elon is it fair game for third parties to try and influence matchups i love this okay so it seems like two separate questions right like first you're talking about the commission was it like out of bounds because this person happens to be the commissioner and i feel like no that that, this is just standard thing that like I, i agree with this argument right anyone could reach out to anyone at any time and say anything they want and i don't think that it's fair for the commission to be held to like a higher standard where they're supposed to be like more ethical than the rest of the people in the league so now let's tackle the question unless you disagree about like is this just a fair practice that people should be engaging in Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think we should be transparent here. You have definitely engaged in this sort of thing before. I can't remember if I have or not. I feel like it's possible. But we've talked about this. Yeah, I definitely think it's fair game. I think it's fun. <laughs> like, obviously, there's not so much you can do to, you know, if you need a matchup to go a certain way, and if you don't want to cheat, there's nothing wrong with, like, reaching out to the person that you want to win and be like, hey, I'm really rooting for you this week. I've definitely done, like, message person, like, okay, I need you to win this week. Come on, buddy, do this for me. Uh, you know, as long as I'm not, like, trading them, giving them an unfair trade or doing anything, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling someone, hey, I'd appreciate if you could set your lineup this week. It kind of reminds me of, like, I've played a lot of board games, right and like you know there's a game like Kalis which is a worker placement game where different people take turns taking spots and once the spot has been taken then no one else can take that spot and let's say my biggest opponent I know needs gold and then someone's about to make their pick of what they're going to take and I would definitely be like hey you are aware for sure that Dina's going to take the gold and then she's going to win so I recommend you take the gold and not let her and then obviously the person who I screw over gets really mad at me but I feel like that's part of the fun of the game and yeah I don't know maybe people will disagree with me on this but I think that's totally fair game but I want to know is how relatable that Kalis example is. It's a fantastic game. C-A-Y-L-U-S. Let us know. Hashtag I play fantasy hockey and Kalis. At one point, uh, it was ranked number one on Board Game Geek for the number one board game of all time. If you like a game with absolutely no randomness, like there's no dice rolls, and it's also full visibility, like you see exactly what everyone's like cards are. It's not cards, but you know, like you see everything. It's a really fun game because it's like really strategic and there's you can't blame anyone but yourself. If you lose. Or you could blame the person for being really smart or screwing you over or whatever. When you recommended it to me, you also recommended that I listen to a 60-minute podcast about how to play it, which I did, and it was worth it. The payoff was good. <laughs> so uh, hopefully the payoff for Dear Kamish so far is good. Here's just a, a story that patron Norm shared. He said, I recently have one of the people in my league whining about a team who keeps dropping, quote, quality player after quality player implying the guy is a complete clown who isn't taking the league seriously at all. The guy complaining is in fourth place. The person he was whining about was in second. That just sounds like sour grapes. 
<laughs> yeah, I think this person might know what they're doing. That's funny. Brian, I'm having a blast here. I wish all the podcast. I want to be the expert and you be the question asker, even for the fantasy questions. This is great. Let's try it sometime. It won't be next okay. week because you're not going to be here, but we could absolutely try it another time. Uh, okay. Next up, we have a question from, maybe we'll make this a regular segment too. I think this is fun. Uh, this is from Brandon at Neons Nerds on Twitter. So this is about designing his league. He said he just started, dear commish, I just started a brand new cap league with a fab system. So free agent acquisition budget. So you get a certain budget, uh, you bid on players and the winner of the bit, like highest bid in a daily auction gets the player that they wanted. Uh, so the thing is that they set their minimum bid to be $1 and have practically unlimited funds to draw from, which has led to teams just adding and dropping whoever, whenever. And there's being a ton of streaming more than expected because there's like zero consequence to spending fab when your budget is like a million dollars. So Brandon's saying, I want teams to think harder about streams his question is, how much fab should teams have in a season to make ad drops meaningful? <laughs> well, like, why is your budget infinite? Like, who <laughs> came up with that idea? I think Yahoo has a default, which is $100. Yeah. So why not? I guess my advice is to go with the <laughs> default that they came up with. That's what we use in the couple. Also, you could add, add like a limit to the number of ads per week so that it's not only about your fab, but also trying to, you know, make the best use of your limited acquisitions that you have available to you. So I'd say three or four acquisitions per week seems good. Actually, Ben and Lewis already took a question like this on a show that they did just this past week on the short shifts, right? I think it was Dave that asked how would they strategize if they were in a league with unlimited ads and like what types of players would be replacement level, you know, like it was actually a really interesting question. And if you're not listening to short shifts, by the way, and only listening to the main Keeping Carlson episodes, I'd recommend Shorts. I think Ben and Lewis do a great job. So just throwing that out there. Anyway, I think their conclusion in the end was that you probably should have an acquisition limit because the league becomes pretty ridiculous if everyone's just adding and dropping like everyone from their lineup and filling their roster every single day. And I think the same goes for this fab thing. So I I don't know. Maybe I'm biased. I think it's pretty good in the cupful, right? Four ads per week, $100 budget for free agents. And uh, that seems to keep it pretty fair. In a league that has unlimited acquisitions or budget or nothing, like no, where you have no skin in the game making ads, if every owner's engaged, it's just going to be a waiver wire order league, right? Whoever has priority is going to win, especially if you have unlimited budget and you just pick a random number to bid. So I agree, Elon, like to make fab meaningful, you need to have, you need to, or ad drops meaningful, you need to have some kind of limit. And a hundred dollars seems to work for us in the cupful. And if not a season long limit, I advocated for it, I think before you were sort of with it, but I think we're on the same page now, somewhere around 60 ads for a season seems to be the sweet spot for like, even between people paying attention, and people like not having to make 60 ads to keep up with their competition. Yeah, actually, so here's another way you could go if you want to go the complete flipped way. Like Patty's saying, actually, unlimited ads can be fun because you pay attention to news all day. I'm actually in a league, Brian, with unlimited ads. But the kicker is that you only have 82 games max per roster spot. So you can't just stream in and get the max number of games because you could like blow all of your games played available to you halfway through the season if you do that. So if I think that's another way to go, right? Because people could, sure, add and drop some waiver wire guy every single day. But at the end of the day, they're probably not going to want to play that player because they are have three good right wings that they just want to get 82 games from each of their good right wings so that's another way you could look at it yeah schedule doesn't matter so much or gaming the schedule which is 
I think the number one reason people stream, it's not a thing when you have a limit of games played. That's a very roto sort of setup. So uh, maybe that works for you too. Let us know what you end up doing. Uh, We have another question about league setup here, Elon. It's one of the last ones we've got about league architecture, which speaking of which... Uh, we have episodes that we've done in the past, Fantasy Hockey Architecture. Google that with Keeping Carlson. You'll find our past episodes on the topic. Edward asks, uh, how many cats is too many cats? He has 15 <laughs> categories in his league, and he thinks it's way too much. Yeah, well, I mean, this is definitely more of a taste question. Like, I'm not going to have an answer for you. And we've talked about it a lot on these episodes you've talked about, Brian. I think that when you play fantasy or when you're designing your league, there's sort of a trade-off of how kind of, like, fun the league is and how strategic the game is versus how realistic it is in terms of, like, are you actually building a team that would be a valuable team in the real NHL? So, you know, the more categories you have, you might be really watering down goals and assists and the actual main things in fantasy because you're filling up with i don't know plus minus and hits and and blocks and i'm not sure like what all these categories must be face-off wins like just a bunch of other random things penalty minutes and at some point then it's like maybe tom wilson is like the number one ranked player in your league because he just fills a lot of categories even if he's only like a 40 50 point guy so uh but that's fine if that's how you want to play it. I think it's a matter of, do you want to play kind of a more strategic game? I think the more categories, the more strategies there are, especially if you're in a... Obviously, it's, if you're in a points league, then it doesn't really matter because each player at the end of the day is averaging a certain number of points. But if you're in a categories league and you have 15 categories, it's a real mind bender. You're just strategizing how to win the most categories that you have. And it's almost like not a hockey game anymore. Yeah. Like I feel like the more categories you have, the better chance someone who doesn't even watch hockey would be able to do well because you could just kind of look at the latest stats for a lot of these categories which by the way are some of them are a lot more predictable than the goals and assists that we're trying to project on the podcast something like hits and blocks they're more consistent so then yeah you can just have some math nerd in your league or some really good strategist and they'll probably do pretty well exactly i think with more cats you get more data points and the more data points you have to manage the more uh, trade-offs you're trying to calculate what's you know is it worth trading off a few of these for a few of these and really optimizing your lineup to meet all the 15 categories you have. Whereas if you're also doing that, you're getting away from really just rewarding the best things that players do. So you're throwing in, like you said, Elon, maybe a bunch of stuff that's meaningless and actually winning a game for your team. But for your fantasy team, it's meaningful. Uh, You're just trying to measure everything that's happening on the ice. I wonder, with this new player tracking stuff that's coming, I think they said for the playoffs, right? And that we got a glimpse of at the All-Star game. I wonder how many new fantasy stats could be created with it. We're probably a few years away from seeing the impact of any of that. Speaking of which categories to include, Elon. 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 (laughs) Say lunch and then put E in front of it and take out the ch and then you've got my name. Actually, Brian, I wanted to say one other thing about the categories. I think another thing to maybe consider is when you're playing fantasy, a lot of the fun for me is to watch a hockey game and kind of cheer for the things that are going to help me win my week. So in a points league, I'm obviously cheering for my players to score goals for my goalies to like not let in goals. Yeah, obviously shots on goal, like things like that. It kind of like blurs it a little bit if you're cheering for all these random categories that are maybe even hard to catch while you're watching. So I, I don't know that might take a, so it might take away a little bit of the fun of watching the games like your player scores a goal and you don't care because that's just like one fifteenth of the categories anyways so something else to keep in mind but sorry so what's this next question that you were going to ask to elan <laughs> okay elan uh Kobe was here asks 
he says, Dear Commission, I love positive stats. He finally got his league to move plus minus and add saves. Way to go. Great moves. But I still can't convince my commish to drop goalie losses as a category. The commish says it adds strategy by making owners decide if they should sit their goalie to win a category. But Kabi was here asks, why sit a stud? Am I wrong about not wanting goalie losses to be a thing? Um, I don't think you're wrong. And I don't think you're right. I don't know. I feel like this is, like, obviously this is going to give more weight to the goalies on better teams that are more likely to win more often, right? Like, Brian, you mentioned that Bobrovsky had a really bad start recently, but still won the game. So that's great that even if he had a bad game, he still didn't take that loss. And so in this league, you know, you're happy to have a goalie on a team that, like, scores a lot of goals. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, I don't love it. I guess you already have save percentage, I'd imagine, and, like, goals against average. And so you're already going to be penalized if your goalie doesn't play well. And also you have wins. So you're already sort of, like, rewarding whether the result of the game is a win or a loss. So I guess it just depends what you want to weigh. I feel like you're just putting more weight on the final result of the game. Uh, I guess there is that strategy, right? Sometimes, but there's already strategy of whether or not to play your goalie because you don't know whether it's going to damage your save percentage or goals against average. So I don't think it's really changing that. It's just making it more, I don't know, I don't love it. To be honest, I, I haven't played with a game a league with goalie losses, so I feel like it might be the kind of thing I have to experience in order to really get the feeling of what it's like. But uh, yeah, also, how does it work? Like, if I don't play my goalies at all, I guess you have to hit your minimum starts or else you'll just lose automatically. Yeah, usually that's how it works. And I, I agree with Kabi. I don't understand why you would have to have another disincentive to play your goalies, right? There's already enough to be afraid of. And then just thinking, oh, what if they rack up the loss? Like if they have a really great game and they lose, it's not their fault. So I'm very much against, especially if you have goalie wins as a category, you don't need to add goalie losses to compound the impact of just an unlucky or bad night from your goalie. It seems really weird to draft Mm. a goalie and then decide not to play him. Like, trying to decide whether you want to chase the other numbers or keep them on your bench for fear of having more losses than your opponent that week? It doesn't seem right. I don't know. I I feel like Brian, might just not seem right to us because we've never done it. I think it's okay. If you have wins, you could have losses. I just don't know. It seems like a little unnecessary. You're generally just putting more weight on wins and losses versus rate stats. So if you want to do that, you could also just make it two points for a win instead of one in your category weightings. And I guess would have a similar effect. I'd have to think it through. Good question. I'm going to think about it. Okay. And one last question that doesn't really fit into any particular category. Steve on Twitter asks... Dear Kamish, in one of my leagues, the commissioner works for NHL TV. Every time I try to snag an emerging player or cover an injured player, he always has the guy already. I've called BS and accused him of getting the inside track on info before all of us. He denies. (laughs) Thoughts? LOL. Send message. (laughs) Was this the circle? (laughs) Yeah, that was a circle reference. LOL. Winky face. Send. Uh, So... Okay, first of all, is he actually getting the inside track or is this person just really good at Twitter and like just follows the right people and maybe has like notifications set up? Like I'd be curious to know, check the next time this happens, check when the acquisition was made and then check when it was first tweeted the news that triggered that acquisition. If the if the acquisition was made before the news got tweeted, you know, like uh, Dougie Hamilton got injured. Well, I guess that's not really news. Like you could just be watching the game. So you can't have the inside track there to know to add Jacob Slavin 
But, you know, like some injury news or like some player getting traded. I'd be curious to check the timings on that because my guess is probably this person might not have the inside track and just might have their Twitter game on fleek and just knows how to be set up to get notifications as soon as they need it. Is on fleek still a thing? I mean, I said it, so obviously it is, Brian. I'm the host of a very popular hockey podcast. Of course. A fantasy hockey podcast set all kinds of linguistic (laughs) trends. But uh, I should say, if it is the case that this person has the inside track, I don't know, is insider trading apply? Does that apply to hockey? I mean, if this is a money league and this person is getting info five minutes before it's released, I think that's really unfair. But from what I know, NHL.com employees don't have... And it, like, they don't have a, a special line. Like, I think beat writers are always the very first to find anything out. So I doubt NHL TV has a lot to do with it. And maybe you just need to spend more. Maybe it's just a job that lets him spend a lot of time on his computer or scrolling through Twitter on his phone looking for news. Yeah, uh, I have a suggestion for Steve here. I think you should get your friend to get you a job at NHL TV. And then you'll have the same access that he has. And then you're set. There you go. Patty jokes, LOL. I'm in a le- in the live chat. I'm in a league with Elliot Friedman and dot, dot, dot. That would be <laughs> yeah. really hard. I was in a league with, with beat writers once. Uh, it was, it was challenging. I won one year. Hey, yeah. Look at you. Is that when you were keeping Carlson? Yes. Nice. That was the league, right? That was the league with uh, James Myrtle. He built it for his blog readers way, way back uh, before like actual websites that had information about statistics were a thing. And uh, I won his reader invitational, which got me promoted to his like beat writers and buds league. And uh, I won that too. Wow. Look yeah. at this. Brian, the, this is the origin story of Brian Conn that we're getting here. <laughs> yeah. What a segment. Okay. Uh, let's move. You got more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got two other topics to cover. (laughs) Trading is obviously a huge one. So let's go to that first. And then we've got probably uh, one of the more ridiculous Shady Commish stories that you would expect to hear. I think we'll save it for last. Uh, but trading. Patron Jeremy, uh, so he runs this actually super huge league. It's a, it's a big league. There's more than 200 people, like the Cacupful. There's multiple tiers, but one difference between in the Cacupful is teams, and maybe we should talk to him about this, Elon, because it's an interesting idea. Teams also compete across different tiers and against one another in different kinds of competitions through the season, like total points and, like, he wasn't so specific, but maybe we should ask him more. Anyway, um, so it's a giant league. And they have a 10-member trade review board that features some members from the highest tiers with some turnover from year to year. They watch all trades, they act on appeals, but they also watch the bottom tier trades more closely to see that they're balanced. They also have a system where the whole league can vote on trades, and they weight that response as three votes on the trade review board. So it's a very sophisticated system uh, up there in sophistication with our full system. Uh, so... He's saying lately in Jeremy's League, people are making noise saying there should be no vetoes ever and are frustrated with the fact that vetoes exist. There are two trades that the trade board has voted on this year. Get this. The first was preseason Landeskog for McDavid. So that was vetoed. Like, I, I don't know under what circumstances that would, that would be accepted. But get this. There was a trade, Sebastian Ajo for Kasperi Kapanen. This was in the fourth week of the season when Ajo was in a slump. That trade was allowed to go through. Uh, so his question, Jeremy's question after all this context, 
Are we right in our league to review all trades and vote on vetoes, or should we be letting things be and never vetoing, regardless of the ripple effects and ways it might compromise the whole league? Uh, And Jeremy adds his own thoughts, and we'll see if you agree or disagree. He says... He personally feels that a bit of Big Brother is necessary to make sure the league is fun for everyone and the cross-league competitions aren't totally compromised, which I guess he's saying because even if a bad trade happens in any division or tier, it affects every single team in the league if it upsets the competitive balance. So Elon, where do you stand on vetoing being allowed or should never be allowed? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a huge question. And there's a big range of opinions. I'm not sure if I left in the edit my groan there for the people saying uh, that there should never be vetoes, no matter what. I feel like it does. It's not as simple as like, yes, vetoes or no vetoes, because you could also just change your threshold for what gets vetoed. Like you should like, you know, let's say uh, someone trades a waiver wire player for Connor McDavid. You're saying you're gonna let that through. Let's say like two people are friends. And they decide I'm just gonna give you all my good players because I don't want to be in this league anymore. And you might think that never happens. I was once in a league where a trade was made where someone just traded all his best players for the other players team's worst players because he knew that he wasn't gonna make the playoffs. and The other guy was and he wanted to help his friend win. So I feel like if you're saying that you shouldn't veto that, then I'd like to hear the justification. I think you definitely need veto for these clear collusion, dumb trades. So then you get to cases where, you know, it's, you might just think it's a bad trade, but you think both people actually acted in good faith and you just think one of the people just doesn't know what they're doing and someone took advantage of them. And yeah, so that's a big question. There's a lot to say. First of all, let's say in the couple we do do vetoes, and what we do is people, if they complain about a trade, then we create a trade jury of people in the top tier, which we assume are the smartest, best players, because they've earned their way all the way up to tier one of the couple, and then they decide, uh, we have a vote on whether we'll veto it or not, and I think we make good decisions that way. We also have a great system that I think might be an answer for another question. So I'll save it. But sorry, where were you going in terms of vetoes? So we have a system in the couple. Jeremy's league has a system. Is it too invasive to be deciding what happens in every tier? Should you just let let nature sort itself out? Or you need that presence? (laughs) Okay, so I think there's a couple cases here. So first of all, when there's a trade where it's like, just seems like someone ripped someone else off, I like to look at the standings and see if it's like the team in like second place trading with the team in 13th place and it's like such a clear win for the team in second place. To me, it's like, ugh, come on, no one's going to be happy with that trade. Like clearly it's just someone who's very good and knows what they're doing trading with someone who's an idiot and doesn't know what they're doing. Not an idiot. You know what I mean? Like someone, they're in 13th place for a reason, right? Because they're not good this season at fantasy hockey. And so I think trade like that i do it's, again it's just a, opinions here i think trades like that you need to look at more carefully if we're talking trades between two experienced players or two players who are you know high up in the standings and the you know like second place is trading with fourth place and you think that it's a bad trade i feel like i would be more inclined to let that through because these are two players that know what they're doing but i think there is room to veto a trade but where it's very obvious that it's just someone taking advantage of someone else and i know the no veto people are gonna be all like well everyone had the opportunity to trade with that guy don't be jealous just because this person happened to do it before you could but like ugh, like it's not such an annoying argument and it's not for- all, it's not even necessarily true like sometimes right. you have an inside line like as a buddy or friend or you're just someone who wants to like write someone and badger everyone in your league nonstop, and sometimes you you get something from that yeah, exactly. Or some people just have no shame and they just yeah. send a million trade offers every day. And then, so yeah, maybe some idiot's going to accept your lopsided trade offer and then the whole league has to be stuck with it. So I don't like it. Uh, that's my opinion. 
I think I've actually considered this, Brian, and I'd love to talk about this in the summer and maybe we'll do an episode. I want to institute something in the cacuffle where the veto has to do, the veto decision has to do more formally with whether or like how far apart the people are in the standings. Like maybe, you know, any trade between people close in the standings, like maybe it's like no veto allowed and any trade where it's like second place trading with 13th place, almost like automatic veto review to consider it. Because like, why is this person making this trade? Especially if it's like someone who's already out of the playoffs and like doesn't really have anything to pl- play for, then like I'm going to be very skeptical about their trade. So that's where I come down to it. Because I do think the the fairness of the league is is everything. And if I'm playing fantasy hockey and, I'm in, and I've been in the situation where I'm in a league where other people are making trades where the teams, like, you know, generally, Brian, I'd like to, I'll admit, I'm usually near the top. Sorry for the brag. But then when the team that I'm competing with for the championship just got some huge ripoff trade that makes them so much better drives me crazy and it makes me want to quit the league and i have quit a league before because i thought that the only way to win is to try to rip people off in trades and that's just not what i want to be doing when i'm playing fantasy hockey it makes it so boring to just rip people off like maybe that's the game you're trying to play it's just some social experiment where you don't want to actually win in an appropriate way you just want to win at all costs and you're ready to lie cheat and steal to do it but i the the underlying message here is that every trade even if it's just between two teams has effects on the entire league and i think it's only fair that there's some system or some oversight set up to make sure that two teams don't ruin it for the other 10 or 12 or 200 so uh, some kind of system is right and marcus on twitter like also mentions in his league, every year there's a trade that goes through in my keeper league that hurts the balance of the league. This year, it was Claude Giroux being traded for a healthy Dougie Hamilton, Tory Krug, and a pick. Yeah, that's nuts. That's insane. Why should that happen? Uh, Marcus said the lopsided trades go to a majority league vote and the commissioner has the final call on whatever others go down. And his question is, you know, even with some sort of veto system in place, it's not nice to even have to deal with the situation, right? You want to have a good veto system, but only so that as a last resort, you have a way to respond to bad trades made. It's better to discourage them altogether. So Marcus asks, Dear Commission, what else can we do to prevent these league-altering kinds of deals from happening every year? Aside from, of course, Marcus, shoring up your veto system, because clearly it's not working. Well, okay. I mean, what else could you do? You could have different players in your league that don't make trades like that. Uh, I guess one option, I'm not saying I support this, but you could have a maximum number of trades per season for each team. Like I'd say only two trades per year. So then you need to be careful. What? But I, I feel like that still wouldn't stop it. So honestly, I do think there is a problem though with your system and most leagues have this problem and sometimes you can't avoid it. The veto system where like the people in the league vote whether or not to veto a trade is very unfair because everyone's biased like i'm if i'm voting on whether or not i want to let a treat trade go through generally i think someone won the trade and someone lost the trade also generally i feel like it's my competition that won the trade and so i'd be inclined to veto it i don't because i feel like it's like not ethical but i not you know not everyone is thinking in this way of like what's ethical and not you might just be thinking like i don't like this trade i'm gonna veto it i think the most fair way is to have an unbiased third party judge the trade like in the cupful we have tier one vote on the trades that have been you know proposed as being potentially unbalanced and then and then they vote on whether they should veto it or not and it hasn't happened yet but if someone in tier one feels like a tier one trade is unfair then we'll get the people in tier two to vote on it and i think that's the best way and by the way 
if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson, like you could definitely feel free to just post in the Facebook group, hey, this trade happened in my league. Do you think that it should be vetoed or not? And I'm sure, like Brian and I for sure, and also all the patrons would be happy to chime in. They'd ha- We've had these conversations before of whether we think the trade should be vetoed. I definitely recommend throwing it to an unbiased third party like that. You can also throw it up on Reddit, you know, Reddit fantasy hockey. People are discussing trades. So I think that's the big thing is I don't know if you could stop these trades from happening, but I do think that you should probably have unbiased third parties deciding whether to veto or not, rather than the people in the league who are affected by the decision. Our best attempt this season at discouraging these trades from even happening in the first place in the cupful, we instituted our trade auction rule. So every time a trade is made, it triggers a 24-hour period during which both owners involved in the trade can negotiate with other teams to get a better offer or other teams can approach them to offer a better package than the one they're getting in the trade that they made originally. And that was in hopes of saying, okay, if someone is ripping off someone else, someone, another team is going to step in and say, okay, like, I will offer you better. Of course, the trouble is that the person who might be getting ripped off might not see it that way, uh, that an objectively better package is actually better. You know, there's all kinds of biases and subjectivity that gets in these deals, which is why they go down in the first place. But that's been our best effort to try and stem the flow of these unreasonable rip-off trades. And I think it's worked, like, reasonably okay. It hasn't been triggered a lot, but we also haven't had a, a lot of awful trades happen. Yeah, I I don't know if, like, one has to do with the other. The fact that there hasn't been a lot of awful trades is because this rule is in existence. Some people did say, oh, because of this rule, I'm not even going to trade. And they were saying it as if it was like, oh, we really messed up by instituting this rule. But I actually am happy to have a league with fewer trades, but then fewer unhappy people because of ripoff trades. Uh, but I actually took advantage of this. I don't know if I actually, like, took advantage in terms of if it was smart of me, but Dave in our division, Dave Benton from the stream scheme, made a trade with... Uh, well, I'm blanking on who it was with. I think it might have been Dustin. And then, yeah, I ended up making a what I thought was a better offer to Dave. I think Dave purposely like lost the trade just because he knew he would get a better offer. And maybe I gave too much, but it was kind of fun. And I think that we then, Dave and I had a more even trade compared to the one he made with Dustin, where I think Dustin clearly won. So that was fun. And I, I encourage people in the couple, I guess there's still a couple more weeks before the trade deadline. So if you see a trade go down, yeah, take advantage of it. Message the owner and try to get a better offer accepted. And then we'll discuss in the summer whether we want to keep that going for next year. I think it's like an interesting rule and I haven't seen any reasons not to have it so far, but I haven't seen, you know, it hasn't been used so much that we have a big sample size. So talking about vetoes is probably done. I think we've covered it well. And of course, we'll cover it again in the summer the next time we talk about our cupful rules. And maybe we'll do our rules bracket again, which was really fun uh, with John Reed. Thanks, John, again for that. So let's talk about novel we got some questions about novel uses for trades ways people are using trading that might not have been the way trading was meant to be used and so wondering is it okay are these loopholes are they pushing the envelope so the first question here comes from patron bob who says dear commish one gm in my league uses draft picks for extra free agent pickups so what he does is he trades with teams who don't use all of their weekly ads to gain matchup advantages. So he sends them a draft pick to get an extra transaction. Bob says, I personally think it's fair game since he's giving up legitimate value for an extra stream, but a few others in my league don't like it. What do you think? Should transactions be fair game in trades? Um, I think so. I- I'd be curious to hear an argument. Why not? It sounds cool. 
I feel like it'd be annoying. I'd be curious to know how they actually do it. Like, if you have to tell the commissioner to go and update the transaction limits every single time it happens, that would be really annoying for the commissioner. I feel like in the couple with 18 divisions, I wouldn't want to be having to go in every couple of days to modify people's transaction limits. Based, Well, we don't have yearly transaction limits. It's only four per week, so it wouldn't work for us. Uh, but... Yeah, I I don't know, Brian. I think it's cool. I think it's just another piece of, like, another something you have. I guess for us, it could be trading fab. And we have had people suggest, can I trade my fab dollars for a player? And I think at some point, I was resistant to it. But the more I think about it, the more I think, like, why not? It's just another thing, another item of value that you have that you can trade with someone else, as long as everyone is aware of it. I I can't think of a counter-argument for it. I haven't thought of it, like, too, too hard. But uh, so far, I can't think of a reason why not. Everything can be a trade chip. I'm thinking of this owner who's trading their draft picks away for extra streams and it's one way to get closer to winning which is what you'd be doing with your draft picks if you're trading them for players but uh, instead of players you're getting transactions and you're still shy those picks come the draft and i wonder if those streams are coming cheaper than players so maybe it's a just like a really efficient use of trading so i also don't see a drawback but would be curious to play around with it uh patron auntie also asks a question about interesting trading strategies. He asks, Dear Kamish, what do you think about temporary trades? So try and stick with me here. Auntie's example is that two managers have used all their moves in a week, but they're in different matchups. So one of them in their matchup needs a skater on Sunday. The other one needs a goalie on Sunday. So they make a deal with each other. Again, they're not against each other. They're in their own matchups. They've spent all their acquisitions, but they make a dealer like tra- trading Blake Wheeler for Tuka Rask and then trade them back to each other the next day. So it's like they agree to rent out the necessary position to the other owner just for a day to get that extra game, and then they trade back like it never happened. So Auntie asks, as a commish, do you think this kind of trading is fair? Okay. (laughs) That's very different than the last one, right? (laughs) Like, this seems shady to me. So first of all, I do want to say, I asked before about the previous question, and I was saying, like, how can you even do that about managing trading the acquisitions for the the players? Does the commission have to get involved? And Michael pointed out in the chat, you could do, like, Team A adds the player and then trades that player to Team B. So in that case, I feel like that's just, like, you're asking them, okay, yeah, so can you please add this player and then I'll trade you this guy for him? Uh, I think that's totally fine and I can't think of a reason. Like, no one would even know that this was that kind of deal, right? It just looks like the two people made a trade and then you value the trade. Okay, Auntie's question. A trade and then you agree to trade back after... I really don't like this. I feel like it's clear collusion. You're like helping each other win your matchups with no long-term consequences. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't like it. I would be really annoyed if I was the opponent of one of these teams and they're just like, like, yeah, it would be great if like Brian and I could like combine our rosters. Let's say there's one week in the Kakupful where uh, let's say we were in the same division and let's say I'm crushing my matchup. I'm going to win for sure. And Brian is in a really tight matchup. So I'm like, okay, hey, Brian, I'll trade you Ovechkin for whoever, Marcus Johansson. And then you could have Ovechkin for the rest of the week. And then you trade me back next week. That's totally unfair, right? I'm just like lending my players out to help my friends do well in their matchup. It feels so icky, and that's exactly it. You're just team, you're playing as a team. It's team fantasy hockey. You could do that any week, right? Like you said, if you're like crushing a week and you don't need your players and you hope they'll return the favor some other time, you have to have some skin in the game to make a trade legitimate. And if there's no skin in the game, if there's no downside to making this one day swap, then 
it's not an okay trade. That's that's the measure I'm going to make. So uh, Antti says this isn't yet happening in his league, but some people have floated the idea. I would squash that really quickly. And maybe what you could do is add a rule that any player traded can't be reacquired for X number of months or whatever for the rest of the season. Yeah, I would, uh, by the way, Dave said in the chat here, I wouldn't trade back if I were getting the better player, <laughs> which is really funny. Like, that's totally something Dave would do. Yeah. Like, if I was in a league where this was a common practice and I decided to stay in the league, I would be making alliances. This would be Survivor. Yes. I would, like, team up with people. Then I'd be like, hey, if you and I are ever in a situation where you're winning your matchup and I'm in a close <laughs> matchup, we'll make one of these temporary trades. And then, you know, and I'll just make an alliance with, like, everyone in the league, hopefully, and no one will talk to each other to realize that they're all in an alliance with me, and I'll just do so well. We might have stumbled upon an actually really fantastic way to play fantasy hockey, like a brand new angle that has nothing to do with picking the best players. It's all a social game, but just using hockey and hockey events, which maybe we'll talk about what what it would take to set that up. I feel like you would be really good at it. Fantasy hockey survivor. I like it. Uh, but about a, a league where at the end of every month, one team gets voted out. So uh, so you don't want to be too far ahead in first place. Otherwise, you're going to get voted out and you can't win in the end. So you have to try, you know, let's say it's a total season points league of just who has the most points at the end of the year. So you need to strategically like not be in first, but not be too far below. So you don't have a chance to win. And you sort of try to hang in the middle and then be the last team remaining at the end after like three eliminations and then still win. That could be a fun league. You're going to have dreams about this tonight. <laughs> Let us, know, let us know what they look like. Uh, one more trading question here. So uh, at 6.9 sign uh, says a team traded Kuznetsov and a second pick, second round pick for a first round pick. It's only going to be five picks af- before the second round pick. So it's barely an upgrade. Uh, and they also agreed that the t- team trading Kuznetsov is going to get him back in the offseason for a third round pick. So I think the way this works is that team one gets Kuznetsov the rest of the season, a second round pick and a third round pick. The other team gets Kuznetsov long term, although they already have him, and they just get a first round pick for renting him out, like a five pick upgrade. Is this is any part of this veto worthy to you? Yes, that's terrible. You can't. Okay, imagine. Think of it this way, in a more crazy way. How about I'm not going to make the playoffs, so I trade Brian Ovechkin, Crosby, and Patrick <laughs> Kane, and he gives me a first round pick. And then after the season's over, Brian will trade me those players back, and I'll give him a second round pick. You know, I mean, you could just do that, and you just like rent out your players to help someone else win their league, and they give you, they throw you a pick. It's like you're throwing a chip to the casino dealer at the end to thank them. You know, it's like that's not fair. That's yeah. collusion. Or you could say the whole league had this opportunity to do this with the Kuznetsov owner and they failed to take advantage of it. So basically, you just have to go to all the teams not in the playoffs and rent all their good players yeah, for your playoffs. Yeah, and whoever playoff rents them at the highest price first is going to win the, the fantasy playoffs. If this is not the definition of collusion, I don't know what is. Like, this <laughs> it's is not the collusion. Reason. You're not working with one another. Like, the bottom teams are going to have some really awesome teams the next season because they're all like making it a, a a seller's market i see okay fine well if you want to play in a league like that then make sure it's op- everyone's aware that this kind of thing is encouraged but uh, i wouldn't play in a league like this it's a straight up terrible idea like it would suck yeah. a lot of fun out of it and again this is something where the team giving up the rental has no skin in the game so it's uh, again you can't i feel like you can't do that 
Brian, can I can I mention like just all this talk about trading in fantasy is like <laughs> stressing me out. Like I just hate it. It makes me so annoyed. Like anytime I'm in a league and the trade deadline passes, I breathe like such a sigh of relief because now I know it's just me against my opponents and we're going for the win. I don't have to worry about any weird fishy stuff going on that's going to mess with my chances. Like I hate the trade deadline. Uh, by the way, we haven't even mentioned keeper leagues, right? And when people are trading draft picks, and I guess we mentioned draft picks a little bit. The, the worst thing in the world, like if you're a contender, you're in your keeper league, and you think, okay, I got a team, I've been rebuilding, and now I finally think I have a really good shot at the championship. I'm in first place. The, we're hit, hitting the trade deadline. Then someone else just trades away their like next three first round picks to get like three amazing players, and all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball, and you're probably going to lose. And it's like, well, now should I now trade all my first and second round picks so that I can keep up? And then you're like. In an arms race like so stressful and frustrating and to me not fun like i'm building my team all season maybe in a keeper league like for many years just to like have the rug pulled out from under you at the trade deadline where someone makes a huge splash so i don't know that i know some people like it i'm not saying that that shouldn't be the case but i know for me it's very stressful and i like it when the trading is over and then we could just go mono e mono we've all got access to the free agents just even playing field and we'll see who's gonna win at the end of the day it really opens up t- the whole fantasy league being blown up by a social game, which you, I guess you have to decide at the start how much of that social game you want involved. It usually doesn't have a place in fantasy hockey, but in your survivor league, it would be, it would be the game, which would be really exciting. Uh, one last trade question. And th- I, I think, said that before. Oh, sorry. This will just be a minute. <laughs> uh, this is from patron Alex. He said, what do we all think of that manager who, when you send what you think is a fair deal, immediately counters asking for your first three rounders, top two prospects and Connor McDavid, because Keith Yandel is on an Ironman streak. Two laughing face emojis. Okay, basically, Alex doesn't like it when... Basically, this is like the passive-aggressive way of saying, I don't want to trade with you, right? Like, you send someone an offer, and they send you back a counter-offer that's a clear rip-off, just basically saying, go away, stop bothering me. So I feel like, that's fine. Like, if the person's going to do that, just don't uh, reach out to that manager for trades anymore, because they're clearly not interested in talking to you. Unless, I think, I know Alex, and Alex loves trading more than anything, so probably to him, it's like someone who's not trading is like, shouldn't even be in the league, which is fine. Like, you know, like, it depend- again, you build your own fantasy leagues, and you build the culture for your league, and if you say to people who join the league, like, this is a trading league, we all are making trades all the time, we want to have managers who are going to participate in that, that's cool. In that case, maybe it's very uncool what this person did. But in the couple, if someone kept tra- sending me trade offers that I don't agree with, maybe eventually I would be that asshole who's like sending the ridiculous counter offer. No bleep, Brian. It's not a bad word. To calm down a little. Are bit. you kidding? That's not. I've seen that. That's on like network television. We've come this far. You're gonna drop a cuss in our show now. Okay, bumhole. <laughs> I feel like you think more about the the graphic place on the body. No, I say... don't. It's just, it's not a word that we use on our show. Well, it, it, this question, I guess, <laughs> called for it. <laughs> wow. Uh, I really, I'll, I'm going to move on with okay. totally not condoning it. Brian's frazzled. I am frazzled to the point that I'm going to say there's one more trade question. No! Uh, Jesse at Lancers92. I just missed it before. Uh, he said, what do you do about managers that vote to veto every single trade made in the league? Well, like I said before, I don't think managers should have veto ability. Yeah. It should go to a, a, a unbiased third party, yeah. I think. And and we've offered up our services to the patrons. Uh, and also, I think Reddit uh, will help you out there as well. Yeah, totally. 
And by the way, I am that guy. Like we've gotten, I, I ran a team at the start of the season. I passed it on to you, but I still get emails of trade offers from this one owner who just keeps throwing these ripoff owners, like once every two offers, once every two weeks, just like garbage, garbage, garbage. And at one point I was just responding with like the worst, po- like I gave him my three worst players for his best seven just to try and send a message. It was very passive aggressive and it did not work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Last, no more trading talk. Last set of questions. Uh, is it, it comes in the shady commish category. So there's a, we've got four left here. Uh, we have uh, patron Phil saying that he's in a clown league. So he's leading off by telling us that it's a bad league. Goalie categories <laughs> are 40% of the categories and the skater categories include plus minus and penalty minutes. And he says the commissioner keeps changing rules with no discussion or warning. So this league over four years has moved from a keep four to a keep six to a keep seven, just like that. Uh, they're changing ad drop limits from six to four without warning. All changes seem to be very convenient for the commission, in Phil's opinion. <laughs> so the obvious answer here is just leave the league. Like, why are you a part of this? But Phil already answered that question. He says, I won this league and I'm only sticking around to defend my title, which may have been a mistake because last week... The commissioner made a new shady move, trading with the ninth place team who is his real life buddy. He traded Sergachev and a first rounder for Brian Rust, Brent Burns, and an eighth rounder. His que- Phil asks, does this reek of collusion? Okay. Have you read uh, the book A Tale of Two Cities? <laughs> uh, it was the best of time. It was the blurst of times. <laughs> right. Of course, like, you were going to make a Simpsons reference. <laughs> Okay, there was this thing called the French Revolution, right? And, like, the people rose up again. Like, you don't need to leave the league, but you can, like, get this commissioner, like, to lose his abilities. Like, this is a very unfair... Like, this person is abusing their power, clearly. Like, if you want to stay in the league, if you like your team, like, whatever, you want to defend your title, message everyone else in the league and be like, are you guys okay with this? Because... Like, uh, I don't even know what to say here. Like, this person is not allowed to change the settings to be what's convenient for them. That's ridiculous. This is like when you were playing in the schoolyard at recess and you had the, like, basketball and you had the person just making up rules and calling random fouls that weren't there and ignoring the rules for themselves. Like, when this is happening, you walk away from this person and you never play with them again. So Phil has said, uh, shame bell for me with bell emojis. Uh, others in the league who never spoke up and the commish says this is going to be my last year win or lose which is the absolute right thing to do just get far far away from this league no or i think you just kick this one person out maybe it's a good league kick out the commish throw- yeah you don't have to throw you the can't kick out, out the commish yeah you can you or you start a new league with yeah. everyone else <laughs> yeah. in that league and you yeah. invite everyone except the commish has anyone talked to this person? Like, maybe the commission doesn't understand that what they're doing is unfair. Like, I just feel like someone has to have a conversation. Like, unless this person's an actual scumbag that knows they're cheating and is blatant about it. Or maybe you're not telling us the whole story, Phil. Like, this just seems like a, a comical villain in, like, a video game or something. Like, this doesn't seem like real life. Uh, Kevin wrote in the live chat here, invite him to a league and control the other 11 teams. Profit. 
Right. It should be a great, cheat yourself. great little ruse that, that you could pull. Uh, okay, another question about a shady commish. If this commish crossed the line. This is a mild one, though. This is from TJ89 on Twitter. So he, he writes, Dear Commish, my commish changed next day ads to same day ads in week two after the season had already begun. It didn't specifically impact him and he posted in the league. Is that okay? And I think, Elon, the bigger question is here. Do you have to put a stop to, like, set the rules in stone the moment the first puck drops or the moment the draft is done? I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's better for the league members to make the decision altogether, right? Like, I feel like the the proper etiquette would be for the commish to send a poll out to the league members and be like, hey, actually, I think that next day ads is really annoying. I think we'd all enjoy this more if it was same day ads. Like, I prefer same day ads to next day ads. I think it's annoying. Like, the goalies aren't even announced, uh, you know, until the day of. Or an injury could happen and then you're like, it's too late because you've already, you know, you don't have the opportunity to add someone or replace that player. So I like the decision that this commission made. Maybe they were just too zealous in doing it without asking what other people think. I think that it's fine to make changes, but you should get everyone on board or at least the majority. Yeah, make sure there's a conversation about it at least. And if it is too late in the season, someone will tell you, right? You just need to be open as a commission and reasonable and not change anything that you know, people didn't agree to and drafted their teams based upon and then find out that uh, it's not actually going to go down the way they thought. <laughs> Brian, this seems like uh, these last set of questions, seems like we're in kindergarten here, <laughs> telling people how to like play fair and like share with these. Like, which, these are very basic. Like, it should be so obvious what's allowed and what's not. Which also means I think it makes it the most entertaining part of this Dear Commish segment. Uh, here's one last Shady Commish question, and then we'll end it off with a story. Uh, this question comes from Justin on Twitter, who says, Back at Thanksgiving, the commission made a trade with another owner who usually finishes towards the bottom of the league. The trade was uh, the commissioner sent uh, Brendan Lemieux, Brady Kachuk, and Alex Nylander for Tom Wilson, Mitch Marner, and Nick Bjugstad. And Justin's asking, did the commission take unfair advantage? I don't know. The trade looks okay to me. Like, it's it's definitely bad. But it doesn't seem vetoable. It looks okay to you, Brian, because you hate Tom Wilson <laughs> and you think he's terrible. Uh, like, basically, I see Brady Kachuk and Tom Wilson as the same. Like, I think that that's a wash. And that, or at least for this season, I guess you could say in the future, Brady Kachuk has more offensive upside. But I think they're like similar for offense this year and they both hit. Uh, then we've got Lemieux and Nylander for uh, it's Alex Nylander for Marner. Okay. Yeah, so, it is really bad. Yeah, it's a terrible trade. Yeah. So I have but a- I don't think this has to do with a commish, right? This just is a trade that I think you should put to an unbiased, right. uh, you know, table, and then like people can decide it. A, a, a trade like that like isn't so terrible, like you said, Brian. Like it's not obvious, like McDavid for Bjugstad. Uh, so I think it might depend a lot on some of the other trades that have been made in this league, and you kind of compare it to a baseline. But I don't like it. I'd be really annoyed if my main competition just got Wilson and Marner for basically Brady Kachuk. This would have been a really good time for us to launch our new one nine hundred number to for to, to provide unbiased third-party advice on trade so uh-huh. i actually have a follow-up question on justin's that he didn't ask but i'm asking does the commissioner have an added responsibility to be only making fair deals with other teams like are they the team that can't get caught in a rip-off deal just because it it throws the whole credibility of the league in question well again i think that the commissioner shouldn't have final say 
on these things. And then I think, no, that wouldn't be fair if that person is held to a different standard than everyone else. I think that everyone in the league, the commissioner is just the sucker who decided to go and like set up the league and had to do all the extra work. And everyone should thank the commissioner, maybe like buy them a beer to thank them for their hard work and effort. But I don't think they should have different rules than everyone else. But I think also you should make it so that the commissioner doesn't have the power to uh, change the league to their benefit, right? I, I think Pro- so. I agree. Brian, I'd love to keep this going. I actually do need to go. I'm okay. going on vacation tomorrow morning very early. I'm going to be away next week. So everyone, I, I'm entrusting Brian to the podcast. Uh, he's going to prepare, I'm sure, a great show next Sunday. And he's going to post all the short shifts episodes that Ben and Lewis are going to do. So uh, good luck, everyone. I'll leave, great talking to you. I'll leave, <laughs> I'll leave you with a story that you can think about on your trip. Uh, this is from Kevin, and this closes out our Dear Commission segment. He writes, years ago... The commissioner slept with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, Kevin ended up eliminating him in the playoffs and upsetting the top seed to win the championship. Made the commissioner deliver the money in cash. Totally worth the look on his face. (laughs) You showed him. (laughs) He's like happily married and you're like single and alone. But at least you got that money delivery. Seems like a, a small victory in the bigger I, picture. I kid, I kid, of course. I'm sure that... Who who was it who said the story? This is Kevin, who's actually in the chat with us right now. So he's going to give you his instant feedback to your reaction. Oh, Kevin's cool. <laughs> uh, Kevin, you're better off, for sure, in all the ways. N- nice job. Yeah, I, I guess there's other ways of revenge or vindication you can get if this sort of thing happens to you. Uh, this ranks somewhere amongst those ways. So, but thank you, Kevin, for sharing your personal and like, that's a, that's, that's garbage. <laughs> that's awful. I hope you didn't play in this league the next season. That's what I want to know. Like, imagine you get a question like, so the commissioner of my league, like, hacked into my bank account and stole all my money. And then they also made this trade. Like, what do you think I should do? It's like, I know how to be hanging around with these uh, people who are messing with your personal life. I wouldn't have wanted to see them in person. I mean, I don't know. I get, we don't know the whole story. Yeah. Like, also, may, maybe this relationship wasn't working out, and maybe everyone it's for the best for everyone. Maybe they should have written us at some point to ask for advice on that before. Like, our partners also have agency, right? It's not the commission's fault. Like, maybe, you know, like, uh, the, relationships are complicated, and I, I don't think we should judge the commission too harshly for uh this <laughs> this you know it's just a really unfortunate circumstance we asked for people's shady commish stories this one is not like this was not along the lines of what i was expecting yeah that's pretty good okay all so right with that, how about i'll take over as the host right now and say thank you everyone for listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it please give us feedback let us know if we should do this again uh also brian great job hosting the dear commish segment thanks to everyone who sent in their questions like i said before if you want to help support the podcast again this is like you could do this for just the next couple of months become a patron of keeping carlson get in our facebook group talk trades as the trade deadline comes up you could always leave over the summer also we uh decrease the cost we give all our perks for just a buck over the summer so something to keep in mind but keepingcarlson.com slash patron for all that information tweeted us at keeping carlson we'd love a five-star review on apple podcasts or whatever podcasting thing you listen to if you would be so kind but with that let's cue the outro music and brian why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right, this episode of the Keepin' Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest one, Jay. Welcome aboard. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. 
outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! And everybody who wrote in Dear Commission questions, let us know what you thought. If you want us to do another round of these, I had fun. Yeah, I had a great time. I hope that people did as well. Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to hearing what you've got for us next week and looking forward to talking to you in a couple weeks. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. And people are going to be like, I guess it's probably going to be a short Keeping Carlson episode this week since there wasn't much hockey. Then I can see like a two hour plus episode drop in their uh, feed. So enjoy. Hope you liked it. Bye. Bye.